0: Isn't there a family reunion you need to be interrupting? A village of civvies you need to massacre and burn down? Do you need footage from the air of someone setting themselves aflame? Could there be a wedding you should be air bombing, and then air bombing yet again once the emergency response vehicles have arrived to save the maimed and collect the dead?
1: You can't say that, man. The CIA will no
0: matter! The Vond Air Response Team is a vigilant force eager to protect you from so-called vigilantes and any other kind of ape-like vagrant criminal types. Forever at your beck and call, the Vond Air Response Team will be there to keep you square. Guaranteed. Thank you for joining us in Mapping the Zone, a podcast dedicated to a highly fixated review of large dense books. (laughs) Are you just
2: purposely leaving that in there?
1: (laughs) Yes, I love it.
0: Specifically of the works in context of Thomas Pinchon, my name is Kate, and I'm one of the co-hosts.
1: My name is Cody.
0: I'm Luke. And I'm Will. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing Chapter 15 of Vineland, but not the entirety of Chapter 15. Um, We are just going to be discussing the first half of chapter 15. So this week's episode is going to cover from the beginning of the chapter up until when Frenesy and Flash end up back in Vineland. And then our episode next week is going to cover the second half of the chapter, which is going to run to the end of the book. And then we are all done with chapter 15 and thusly our third book of our podcast. Um, Will, do you have a summary for us to go over?
3: Of course I do So in chapter 15 The first half of it We're treated to a collage of Furnessi's extended family Most of whom are camping out Near the Shade Creek area Outside of Vineland and near Thanatoid Village As they wake in their own ways And begin to prepare for the family reunion Suddenly Inspired by some touching balk The Thanatoids begin to fill their customary radio bands with a ceaseless howl, and D.L. and Takeshi must venture out to identify and hopefully silence it, if only for some peace and quiet. They alert Prairie, offering to bring her along on the investigation. Prairie's conflicted, at least because she'd been reconnecting with her childhood BFF Shay. They'd spent what seemed like years walking the malls of Vineland and the surrounding area, getting into trouble and generally goofing off. We get a glance of Prairie learning, back then, of just how bad things could be, even with a mom, as Shay suggests that she show up in a short skirt around her stepdad. As they grew up, Shay would drive them around in a borrowed car, singing automobile rock anthems and meeting up with other friends to model mostly stolen outfits, and make her less-than-clumsy gestures of romance in Prairie's direction. This was the day of the aforementioned thanatoid signal, and when she left Shay, Prairie set. Prairie felt a certain sense of departure, as her friend wished her luck in finding her mother, and then critiqued her hairstyle. That same day, somebody had set Ditza's film archives aflame, that somebody apparently being represented by the wasp-looking male inhabitants of a set of four suspiciously inconspicuous Chevrolets. Of course, they'd also roughed up the rest of the domicile for discreetness' sake. Ditsa had gotten away safely. Prairie decided to go back to Vineland. When they arrive, they find evidence of another noxious stimulus for the thanatoids. A certain DEA agent dropping names all around town with a film crew in tow. Of particular interest is the name he's most sharing, Furnessi's. We watch as he drives down the road, reminiscing on his days in the tubal detox, less detoxified from the tube than ever. Whether thanks to faulty methods of therapy or some particular sensitivity unique to him, none of the rehab facility's methods did anything but drive him further into the televisual mania. The only thing keeping his mind remotely straight in there was the dream of creating the latest epic film, the story of Fernesi's life, which he concluded must be directed by the subject herself. During one of his periods of escape, he signed a deal to secure funding directly from the government and he began to wonder what he'd gotten himself into before forgetting himself once again in the fever of the pitch. Closer to the present, he's flown out to Vegas, apparently with mixed motives, in order to convince Fernesi to work on the project. His demeanor of slick manipulator gets in the way of negotiations, especially when he mentions Prairie, which he means in a sort of friendly way, and which Fernesi takes in a much more hostile one. At some point, he gets the message across clearly, and escorts her around the deck escorts her around the dance floor between the modes of speech trope and dance she is moved and so next she is at the regional airport with flash and justin inadvertently crossing a janitorial picket line in the process the strikers decide to let it slide this one time and we jump back to see flash browbeat his superior into unveiling the budget cuts that this all started with Thanking him to stop his caterwauling, Flash is handed a stack of cash, and he recalls the origins of this marriage, as they touch down, finally, in Vineland.
0: Thank you, as always, for your work with the summaries, Will. Uh, starting out into chapter 15, for the first half here, what uh, what were our thoughts on the chapters?
1: I I really enjoy it. Um, looking at, I, I'm i just going to look at it as a whole right now, and I th- I think it's one of my favorite um pinch on endings. Mm-hmm. Um I, I found it very satisfying. I feel like um, it it tied together everything that needed to be tied together up to that point. I mm-hmm. felt like there was um a good sense of, of resolution with everybody. I, I loved um the the conclusion of everyone's plot lines and their character arcs and everything. Um the I, I can't really say I, I like one half more than the other because i think it was just a strong chapter through and through um and yeah it was it was a really enjoyable uh way to end the book it was it was emotional at times it was funny at times it was tense at times uh it was everything that i i love kind of condensed into 60 some odd pages
0: yeah it's a long it's a long chapter um luke will what about you guys first half of the chapter what are your thoughts yeah so
4: there's there's a lot of really nice pros in this in this chapter throughout the chapter um you can kind of tell that Pynchon, you know knew he was wrapping up the book and wanted to kind of end on uh you know throw some throw some really uh um strong pros in there um yeah and i mean it is kind of nice that You know, I think I've seen stuff on the subreddit or in general about people thinking that all the different characters in a Pynchon novel, that they're all going to like kind of converge at the end, um, like in Gravity's Rainbow and stuff, or like all these disparate plot lines are going to somehow converge, um, which is not something that Pynchon typically does. But it it did occur to me this week that uh, people thinking that that was how Gravity's Rainbow would end, Might have influenced his ending for Vineland because, you know, like all these different, pretty much every character in the book, uh, every major character, at least, um, is present in this last chapter. And we get to see a lot of cool interactions between people, um, stuff that we've been kind of been waiting for. Uh, More specifically, I did kind of like... The Che and Prairie section, um, we do kind of get a different, and we'll get more into this, I think, but we do kind of get a different view of Prairie than we have in the past, um, where we haven't kind of seen her young delinquent side um, yet, and then you know, she's kind of, before this, she's kind of shown to be pretty responsible, fairly adult, um, but in this, in the beginning of this chapter, we're kind of reminded that she is a teenager. Uh, with some pretty typical kind of teenage behaviors like shoplifting and that kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so yeah, we do get to see a different a different side of Prairie in this in the beginning of this chapter. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, like I said, there's just some really strong pro sections, and it's just a it's really fun to see all these different characters interact. And um, we do, you know, there's a lot of kind of wrapping up stuff. Like we do kind of get more about the uh, the TV. Um, like detox place uh, in this chapter. I think that we get um, some stuff about the UFOs and the Godzilla's uh, appearance in this chapter as well. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really love this chapter. Uh, the very end is, I've seen people say it's not satisfying because, um, you know, it's like the whole like Brock like appearing in a helicopter above prairie, you know, like it, it seems like it's going somewhere and then it kind of veers off into a different a different thing. You know, like we kind of we think that Brock's gonna like storm the um storm the family reunion and all this stuff, then it kinda it it, it goes into it goes to a different kind of less obviously satisfying but still very cathartic ending. Um so yeah, I really like this chapter.
5: Will what about you?
3: Well, I, I apologize for the for the music theory fans, um, because <laughs> last last week I called that the denouement, which, which it, it it isn't it isn't in in, a, in that very specific structural sense, um, mm-hmm. especially since I'm going to say that this first half of the last chapter is really a crescendo of sorts. It re- it really comes together, bringing the bringing the characters. Back from the very beginning of the book and tying them much more deeply in with those we only saw in the center of the book. and alongside that uh, you know co- coincidence of the of the characters, you get the the kind of the return of the density of prose that Pynchon is known for, and uh, we haven't seen as readers of this book since oh chapter nine probably yeah Yeah, it's it's i think it's really uh profoundly effective in that way personally um from the first half of the chapter which really is uh a laugh a minute fun fun time (laughs) Uh, but and the, the second half just to touch on it briefly is much more emotionally uh uh, d- deep, I guess, to put it simply, I-, I find it a lot, a lot more touching um, than the first half here. But the the way that everything is building in this first half is very fun, and uh, the place we've chosen to kind of leave, leave our conversation off on in this episode, I think, is a really fun little lift-off point uh, in in terms of the actual sense of momentum narratively.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Um I I really like this this whole last chapter but sort of building off of Will's point the the first half of it definitely feels like there's a lot of momentum being built and then that's that's obviously capitalized on how in the second half you kind of get just sort of character return after character return after character return and they kind of start to pile up on top of each other until you know you finally do reach the conclusion of the novel which is really great. And I think it's interesting too that even as we're we're getting very close to the end of the book from a you know a page quantity and also from a narrative perspective, it he still is doing interesting work character wise in building out Flash's backstory, who hasn't been around since what, chapter six
1: or seven? I maybe
0: whenever yeah, they a while have that... Back that brief aside. like two pages yeah, yeah when the budget stuff got cut really early in the book like so he's still taking the time to build out character you know resonance there he introduces Che and just tells you this entire backstory about her which we'll get to um you know he's he's still doing more with prairie like even though we are you know within the 11th hour so to speak um he still is continuing to be dedicated towards this book's sort of exercise in in Thomas Pynchon as a writer of people or characters rather than, you know, ideas, which is is really impressive that he bounces because I feel like and I feel like I use this phrase in the hands of a less capable author a lot on this show, <laughs> but I feel like in the hands of a less capable author that would feel very just sort of shoehorned in and, and poorly done. But oh, absolutely in in this book it doesn't come across that way. You just you just sort of are there for the ride. And wondering okay well what what you know what crazy person am i going to meet this time or what you know (laughs) interesting backstory is going to come up this time um it's it's truly remarkable so uh any uh, other overall thoughts we want to share before we dive into the content of the chapter
1: i think the only other thing i'll say is that um like I said with with chapter nine, this also like chapter nine felt like a like a mid season finale of a show, and this feels like the the season finale, and it's mm-hmm. it's got that kind of epic scope. It's the second long chapter, like chapter nine was, um, and it's it's you know it just has that same kind of uh, energy about it that chapter nine did, as far as just kind of you know throwing so much into the into the story at one time, but still having it work in such a way that it doesn't feel like it's just cramming stuff in for the sake of cramming stuff in, um, but it it really continued on with a lot of those. You know, this feels like a TV series um, elements that we've talked about in the past.
0: Yeah, do you watch a lot of TV shows that have a potentially primate lawyer in them?
1: I there need to be more. We need more like Dunstan movies, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you're very right, though. I you know in in this whole book as as an exercise or in, in, as an exercise in frame as, you know, television or film and the ways in which that very clearly translates to elements in the narrative and thematic aspects of what, what Pinchon is talking about. He does certainly keep that consistent all the way up to the end here where you do really have this sense of finale, the longer that kind of this chapter goes on, which obviously reaches it's more, it, it more so it's crescendo in the second half than necessarily the first, mm-hmm. but you're very correct. Um, I I love the writing of the opening of just the sort of campsite. Oh yeah. And the different people that are, you know, gathered there and their different morning rituals. Like I grew up um, you know, lower to regular middle class where we were, you know, a well-off enough family that we owned a camper, but not so much that we would go to like Disney World or fly places. So most of my summer vacations when I was younger were just going to a campsite like this where there's you and, you know, 70 other people in different yep. camping lots, right? And uh it, it, it was very evocative of that kind of a of a weekend away or week away in um, the ways in which that he kind of just talks about those different routines. It was it was really great. It was something that, that definitely hit, hit home to my upbringing. Um, and of course, we get we get a, a stirring with the Thanatoids. They are they they've a slept overnight, which is strange for them. Um, but in the, in this, this sort of fateful morning, they all are moved emotionally by a chorus of discarded electronics <laughs> that are all playing, um, it's a, it's a piece of music by Bach, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 What did, what did we think of, uh, what did we think of the Thanatoids awakening from their slumber?
1: I was, I was just happy to have them back. again. they play a pretty big part in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, both here and, and later on, in there, um, it was. I mean, I don't really have anything to say about it other than it was. A, I, I thought it was a really good, scene a funny one, especially with that. The you know, like you mentioned with the electronic <laughs> sounds and the and the uh, rendition of Bach. Um, it um, it kind of it's it's given us a little bit more about kind of who they are or what they're representing. Um, but still, there's still sort of a vague. Um, lack of understanding. I, and I think that's intentional. I don't, you know, we've talked before about how they're, they're kind of a, a seem to be a stand in for a you know, displaced vets, but specifically Vietnam vets. And that seems to kind of still be here. And it gets touched on a little bit more later, but um, I think there was a line in there about how they're, they're nothing but memory or something to that effect. Yeah.
0: I was just flipping to that where it. Um,
5: yeah. It's what just... was
1: the Thanatoid at the end of the long dread day, but memory. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a, uh, I don't know. I I I love that little extra detail that doesn't really tell a whole lot, but it still kind of gives you more of an idea of who they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, and I think I think obviously as the as the book has gone on, the the Vietnam comparison is certainly present there. I mean, Pinchon has it in the text, but they are they are certainly sort of remnants uh, or, or revenants of of all sorts of governmental you know death dealing or. I guess, psychic pain inflicted on its its own country mixed with, you know, all sorts of... I would assume there's, there's thanatoids who have ended up that way, not due to anything the government has done. But it seems primarily that's really where their victims are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find it interesting that they seem to be being pushed into a different state by music. Um, that was sort of the biggest thing that I wanted to ask you guys is whether or not there was... This being done through a piece of classical music, or as it says on page 325, one of the best tunes to ever come out of Europe, even with its timing adapted to the rigors of a disco percussion track, able to make the bluest thanatoid believe, however briefly in resurrection, they woke the thanatoids woke. Do we think that this is some sort of a a statement from Pinchon on like the capabilities of art or the capabilities of music, or what... um, it seems important that this is what wakes them up, and so I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on that specifically.
3: So uh, I, what it brings to mind for me is uh, th- this kind of idea of systematization and judging art, mm-hmm. because it's pretty rare that anything is labeled as the best piece of art in uh, a fiction novel.
0: Well, one of it says, but I yeah. mean, any, <laughs> so, uh,
3: yeah, any, yeah that's, like, mm-hmm. that's that's a big thing, and that's not to say that necessarily it's Pynchon, you know, just saying this is a great piece of art, but also very possibly, uh, you know, Bach in particular as a composer was very focused on mathematical rigor, and it, 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 there's a lot of symmetry and, uh, very like. Direct numerically mappable progression of th- throughout all of his compositions, all pretty much all of them, and the the idea that this world, which has been so systematized, and this world, which has created so much art, which is entirely pointless except for entertainment in the form of television, which is part of you know perhaps what's keeping the Thanatoids asleep the idea that this this at the relatively speaking ancient recapitulation of this this form before function of art be the thing to wake them up mm-hmm. as a piece of art designed to model resurrection day it feels strangely subversive and i really can't put it any i, I can't bring those threads together
2: that's mm-hmm. what it brings to mind for me. Yeah,
0: I think that's I think that's just a solid read. Certainly more more so than anything I could come up with. That was that was a hard one for me to parse out personally. Um, so after after the Thanatoids sort of wake up, we then transition from from Takeshi and DL figuring out what their response is going to be to uh, a story with Prairie and her best friend. Che, um who before we get into Che, because i'm sure we all have a lot of thoughts on her inclusion here um i just want to say that i would love to go to the noir center yes Um, (laughs) i i think that that would be just exactly the kind of mall that i would enjoy going to do you want to read the description cody
1: (laughs) yeah um let me find it i think it starts on page 325
0: it does yeah like towards the end of 325 so
1: among the first mall rats into Fox Hills, Aboriginal, as well as the Sherman Oaks Galleria, Prairie and Che had been known to hitchhike for days to get into malls that often turned out to be only folkloric, false cities of gold. But that was cool because they got to be together. This time, they arranged to meet in Lower Hollywood at the new, at the new Noir Center, loosely based on crime movies from around World War II and after, designed to suggest the famous ironwork of the Bradbury Building downtown, where a few of them had been shot. This was the epification run to some pitch so desperate that Prairie had at least to hope that the whole process was reaching the end of its cycle. She happened to like these old weird necktie movies in black and white. Her grandfolks had worked on some of them, and she personally resented this increasingly dumb attempt to cash in on the pseudo-romantic mystique of these old particular these particular olden days in this town. Having heard enough stories from Hub and Sasha and Dottie and Wade to know better than how most corrupted than most how corrupted everything had really been from top to bottom as if the town had been a toxic dump for everything those handsome pictures had left out. Noir Center here had an upscale mineral water boutique called Bubble Indemnity, plus the lounge goodbye (laughs) patio furniture (laughs) outlet, the Maltese Falcon, which sold perfume and and cosmetics, and a New York-style deli, The Lady in the Locks. Security police (laughs) wore brown, shiny uniform suits with pointed lapels and snap-brim fedoras and did everything by video camera and computer, a far cry from the malls Prairie had grown up with when security was not so mean and lean and went in more for normal polyester safari land uniforms where the fountains were real and the plants non-plastic. You, can, you always find someone your age working in the food courts and willing to swap cheeseburger for a pair of earrings and kind of goes on from there. Yeah. It's, it's I, I hate it and I love it at the same time um, <laughs> just because I hate the, I hate the corporatization of something like that. Yeah. But I, I, I really do love those films. I I, I have been a huge same. film noir fan for, as long as I can remember like really enjoying film Um and not just the, the movies, but the books that a lot of those are based on mm-hmm. um are among my favorites. And so, yeah, I would love to go just to, to see it, but it also like it does, you know, I, I and I, I, I like that he points out again, going back to the, the Sasha and, and her backstory about how, you know, those films, as much as we love them, we do tend to forget that they are a product of a really awful time in Hollywood. Not that, it's gotten tremendously better, but it was, I mean, it, that was a time when actors were essentially contract players and had no control over their careers, mm-hmm. almost no control over their personal life, especially the, the actresses,
0: you know, yeah, who, studio course, find your husband.
1: They, exactly. Yeah. And they would, you know, like look what like, Judy Garland is a prime example of what happened to a lot of those, those actresses, you know, just, we need her to keep making movies, pump her full of amphetamines and then we'll, you know, just keep her as occupied as possible. It was, it was terrible and gross, but at the same it's it's a weird double-edged sword cuz those they were some great films that came out of that but you know we do have to remember that uh that part of that history we can't just push it aside and pretend it didn't happen
0: yeah that's for sure and, and you know for for easily digestible context there i'd recommend watching the coen brothers movie Hail Caesar it's not one of their best movies but it does deal with one of these hollywood executives like during that time frame going around fixing quote unquote fixing problems with the studio and it's it's all played you know very tongue-in-cheek in a very coen brothers way but when you really sit down and examine the things that josh brolin's character is doing over the course of the film it's pretty it's pretty insane what he's engaging in um and it's all yeah it's all based on on real stuff like you're talking about there and i think it's 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 probably indicative of of Pinchon's love for that genre as well, that he A, knows the history of it and includes some of it in that description, but also B, that he probably could have kept doing puns based on noir movies and stores for the mall for like a good (laughs) six pages, if I was to guess. Yeah. Because I do love how in the vision that he is presenting of this mall's existence, the stores in the mall are so cooperating with the theme that they're choosing names for themselves that that fit within that noir lens which is great.
3: Yeah, and it it really reminds or not reminds. It it reminded me a lot of Hail Caesar, not just in mm-hmm. the the sense that Hail Caesar is about this kind that that little two sentence aside, but also you know, as Prairie is walking through this mall thinking, you know, this isn't anywhere near as realistic I guess, as people like to think, Um, she's also having to acknowledge to herself that she's enjoying the nostalgia bullshit, though. Mm -hmm. And we have to be honest with ourselves in reading this paragraph, and this is exactly what y'all are saying. This is nostalgia porn, and you know it, and Pynchon knows it, and the character knows it and just because it is that doesn't deprive it of its true meaning to us as people who do love these things and that's kind of to to me the 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 most sinister underpinning of both hail caesar and kind of what this paragraph's talking about of of this this idea that it is this reconstruction this facsimile that is sinister because it is uh desiring for profit based on these sincere human feelings but we can't just lie to ourselves and say that we don't actually care about these very silly things because yeah, yeah what what do you what do you call Hail Caesar if not a love letter to pre-code cinema
1: old hollywood yeah i mean yeah, that's that, the thing mean, it's it, we i and I, th- I think penchon is very aware of of this but you know we uh, I, I can't say everybody but i think most people are able to form a connection with some form of art, whether it's film whether it's movies or uh, film or movies film music books um it it that art can impact so much of our life and you know like you were saying well like that nostalgia is it is real and it is something that we i I don't think it's it's fair to dismiss it, but it is gross when it's presented in this kind of way in this sort of um um I don't know what the word would be exactly, but it's a it's a sort of bastardized representation of it where it's just you know it's clearly they're doing this for money mm-hmm. um but it it is you know those are that is art that definitely has an impact on people and and has shaped someone's life and so it's it can be nice for the person who who genuinely enjoys it and wants to re-experience it, but it's you know it can also recontextualize it in a way that is you know can take that away from them or just makes it Come off as gross at the same time. So it's a weird, really fine line that gets walked in these kind of situations,
0: very true. which to I mean, to balloon it out to some of the other stuff we've talked about in context of Vineland itself, like, you know, Ector wants to make this movie based upon this real life story of of some her like heinous shit that the government did for the purpose of entertainment. And as Prairie's walking through a mall, that is a physical avatar of nostalgia being sold back to the public for you know remember winning a different type of entertainment that again has that really negative history associated to it in the background so he's he's even you know Pinchon is even layering the broader themes of his book from from just a, a wide view perspective into this one locale that prairie is going through which is is super amazing um and, and again, I've, it's been a while, but I don't understand how there's there's nothing redeeming about this novel.
1: <laughs> it has been a few episodes since we called Harold Bloom on his shit. Hasn't yeah,
0: it? fuck you, Harold Bloom. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, so and I, I have a I have I just want to point out the the real irony of what of what uh, David Foster Wallace said about this book, given this yeah. final chapter. Yep. Like dear lord man can you you know not to not to beat a dead horse but uh you know can you not okay. see the can you not see like the actual like sincerity in these things that you view as to be entirely cynical
0: yeah well and I, I think it's and i'm glad you brought up david foster wallace too because like obviously as as the resident like dfw fan on this show um it's, it's so fascinating to me that he didn't understand or didn't seem to understand what Pinchon was trying to do with this novel, considering that, f- you know, four years later, he would publish this magnum opus about entertainment and the destructive nature of entertainment and, you know, it, it would be operating in a lot of the same thematic realm as Pinchon was with, with this novel, um, they're not exactly companion pieces, you know infinite jest is is doing something different with its with its entertainment you know as metaphor or entertainment as you know thematic underpinning for infinite jest, but they're they're orbiting you know a, a venn diagram that is is there's some overlap there they're not completely separate circles so moving on to um to che i just i just want to. Give a a brief reading of her appearance, because I found this real great. Whenever Che and Prairie met, it was by way of zigzag and trick routes, almost like they were having an affair. Slipping away from POs or caseworkers or only steps ahead of the bright attentions of Child Protective Services, not to mention these days, the FBI. Che arrived at Noir Center all out of breath, dressed in leather, denim, metal, and calico, with a bazooka rocket bag slung over one wide, precise shoulder, and her hair today tenaxed up into this amazing feathery crest in a blonde shade soured to citric. Um, I don't know why it is that she raided my wardrobe for, uh, for this outfit, but I felt incredibly called out. I don't have a mohawk anymore, but there was a time in my life where, <laughs> apart from the bazooka rocket bag, I could have just- <laughs> fit this character (laughs) description to a t um so bringing her up i wanted to get y'all's impression of her character not just from a standpoint of you know how Pinchon writes her but from a standpoint of the whole messy situation between her messy being a very uh light word um between her yeah between her and her mom and her mom's boyfriend. I have been very defensive of Pinchon over the course of this book and the way that he writes women. Um, I cannot for the life of me come up with any description or understanding as to why it was necessary to write Che the way he did. Um, I think he is operating in some very interesting thematic territory from a standpoint of having one friend lack a mother and the other friend have a mother. And it, they're in this kind of weird inverse relationship where Prairie, you know, loves her mother from afar, but is given the impression that that Furnessi does not love her back. And then you have this inverse relationship with Che. Where she hates her mother, but very clearly her mother does, at some operative level, love her. Otherwise, there's no reason why she would be bailing her out of you know juvie and, and holding cells so often. You can accomplish that same dichotomy and that same thematic sort of interplay without having it be this disgusting and... I hate to use a word like exploitative but I don't understand why he decided to make this this way. So I wanted to get your all your 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 guys thoughts on that and whether or not you agree, whether or not you see a reasoning for it being the way that it is or you know where you're at with this whole thing cuz this was a rare case where I did feel uncomfortable um and not in a way that Pinchon was trying to make me uncomfortable, but in a way of, this is just unnecessary, man, you don't need to do this. Yeah,
1: I think th- this is, to me, this, this this felt like a section that was intended to maybe be longer, but was cut or wasn't fully developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it <laughs> it's, a, it, it, I don't know, I, I don't have a, an answer for why. Uh, che has to go through the things that she has to go through in, in the short amount of time that we get with her. Um It feels like, like I said, it, it, it feels like there was meant to be more there, perhaps, to examine and for whatever reason, it was never fully explored. I think that specific type of um character and, and the occurrences that she goes through, especially with her, her home life, with her her mom and her mom's boyfriend um it's something that i think if you're going to put that in there 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 really 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 has to be reason and it has to be clear to the reader why and i don't think that's fully accomplished here like you said Mm -hmm. um it's you know i i can't figure out if it's this is just like him trying to kind of explore that um that dynamic that occurs in those kinds of, of, in any, I mean, it's capable of occurring in any family really, but you know, to try and explore that a little bit, maybe, but again, that requires more than just a couple of pages that we get Che on. Mm -hmm. I felt like when I was, when I was reading this section, it, this is the strongest twin peaks connection that I think has ever happened in this book to this point. Che and, and Prairie felt to me like Laura Palmer and Donna Hayward, Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is with with Twin Peaks, Laura went through a lot of the same, you know, the same things that Che's going through. But there was a good chunk of time in that show where, and especially in the in the movie, where that was explored at greater detail and, and greater depth, and we understand more about why she is the way that she is and the circumstances that that kind of pushed her into the position that she's in. We don't have time for that with Che. so I kind of feel like I almost feel like that whole section could have just been cut and it would not have any impact whatsoever really on the story.
4: I have to say that I agree that you know, this this section doesn't seem to I I struggle with why this section was included. Um it doesn't really, you know, it's not important to the overall plot of the book, it's not even important to the overall plot of the chapter. Um you know, it does seem to be kind of needlessly sexual and um there's a lot of kind of. There's not. I mean, I other than kind of like a weird focus on like the 80s and youth culture and um portrayals of the youth culture as like um problematic or like I I like I'm struggling with how to phrase it, but I think you all kind of innately get what I'm saying. Where like you know, like a lot of portrayals of youth in the 80s were. Uh, troubled youths who were struggling with various things. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, like we do see a different side of Prairie in this section, uh, which I do appreciate. It's just this, the, the whole thing is kind of belabored and overly long. And like I said, it doesn't really serve the plot arc of the book or the chapter. Um, I don't see a reason for it to be included either. Um, I do kind of, I mean, the only thing I can think of is um, it does kind of set up, you know, like it does kind of show it does kind of serve as a vehicle to show how big of a hole in Prairie's life there is with her mom being gone and how, even though like her, her friend's family is all fucked up, you know, Prairie is still jealous of them. Um, But that could have been done in a lot shorter of a way. and. I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily want to get into this too much, but it, it was unclear to me uh, how much Che was um, or how consensual the, you know, the, the relationship between the stepfather and Che was um, if she was just doing it to piss off her mom, if it was, you know, it's obviously grooming
0: if nothing else. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know if it is though, Luke, like I, I feel like I come away from that section, with the understanding that this is something that she chose to undertake.
1: It's certainly in 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 an
0: effort to get back at her mother for, you know, some perceived slight or that she, you know, certainly like her mother's boyfriend is still like a creep. We know that for sure. But, you know, she seemed to recognize that and then take this to another level by sleeping with him. Um, which, which, from the way Pinchon writes it, it seems like she's making that decision on her own, which is part of the reason why I was highly disgusted by it. So I, I'm going to defend it a
3: little bit. Not because I don't see what y'all are saying. Um, but the way I read that particular aspect, the, 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 the sense of agency that Shay is portrayed to have about it. I really do read that as fully ironic from the narrator's perspective. I I I do see that particular aspect of all of this. I I, I think it. We're looking at you know the fallout. We're still looking at the fallout of the sixties. We're still looking at the way that you know. Oh, mate! You know, free love had to do with all these good things, um, and had. Did all these other bad things too? But in particular, we're looking at you know the people who read Lolita took it to be a you know manual, or as a love story, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that this is this is the this is the scene of s- essentially like a strange tiny Faust tale where a character is believing themselves to be making a decision of their own accord, but not having any clue of what's actually going on in the way that you know, nowadays it's viewed as uh, co- common sense for like a you know a 15, 16 year old to uh, basically never be able to be to, to consent to a sexual relationship with their stepfather. Um, this is this is like a cultural, snapshot of that not being understood with the same rhetoric of like free love and women's empowerment being co-opted by these horrible people and her having no opportunity to view herself as a victim because she doesn't want to feel weak however yeah no it doesn't need all of this doesn't need to be so long it 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 really feels almost Like, it's all in service of Prairie learning that, like, not having a mother is not that big of a deal. You know, a mother can be all of these horrible things, too. A mother can be neglectful. A mother can, you know, punish you for your stepfather having sex with you. Your mother can do all of these horrible things. And she's still your mom, and so Prairie can still find things to be envious of. But it does feel exploitative to have all of this, all of this uh, truly deeply disturbing content all in service of prairie learning that, shucks, things aren't always greener on the other side of the fence.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. I, I wish I could agree with your uh, lukewarm, I guess I'll say, defense of it. I just, I, I don't. I don't see any of that in there. Um Yeah, I like it I to Cody's point, I feel like it would need to be longer for if that is what Pinchon narrator is trying to get at for that to really be be put in perspective there or to to really be like expanded out to a a larger point as it is, I just don't I don't see any any purpose that it serves for for why it is the way that it is. You could have you could do the exact same thing where just her mother's boyfriend is, you know, physically abusive but not sexually and the mother won't leave him and you end up with the yeah. exact same end result, right? Without or just, this
3: Or just leave it unsaid. Yeah. It or need that. to be yeah, said, yeah, that's and, thing, it yeah. Be and that's, much less exploitative.
1: I th- I think that's where it's kind of disappointing is that, you mm-hmm. know, the, I feel like a writer as strong as as Pinchon um should really I don't want to say should know better, but could do better. I, I, it's a rare misstep, yeah. I think in 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 an otherwise um very calculated and very meticulously plotted story it's It's just a weird um, very jarring scene that I just yeah, I think it could have been handled better or if if he felt necessary that it it' be this specific situation that it it need it would need to be expanded. and we would need mm-hmm. more justification for why that's on the page.
3: So, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that it's more justified in the in the thematic discussion of the of the the, the 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 facade of realism in television later on. I think a lot of these things for me at least the reason I'm willing to give it uh the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if that's the right that's, that's right bleh, if that's exactly what I mean but it comes down to the fact that throughout those long meandering thematic discussions that that have gone on throughout this entire book about the way that you know certain people view things as realistic because they've seen it in media and the ways that that clashes with actual reality and them living happy lives that th- th- this is supposed to be some kind of yeah, you want a character to show Prairie? I'll give you a character to show Prairie. I'll give you a character. I'll give you somebody who's broken and sad and all that bullshit. So that, you know, Prairie makes sense.
0: So are you you saying, if I'm understanding correctly, in the same vein as DL's rescue of Furnessi earlier, in that the random sort of for no reason sex scene there, which is so over the top in that it's just this random woman masturbating alone with like a piece of Furnessi's clothing, I think it was, is meant to sort of play off of the stupid inclusion of sexual situations in in movies or television, that the tragic angle of Chase's character is overplayed to such a degree that it would only come out of something like movies or television as a way to sell the, the nature of the character in comparison
2: to her
3: so um, not necessarily Che in particular but I would say as my general approach to reading the character development in this novel yeah
5: okay I gotcha I, yeah I, I if, think yeah yeah I can see where you're coming from with that angle
2: I did well, I
0: also wanted to add yeah go ahead Will
3: I was just going to bring up the, the song that Che sings and kind of the, the general return of music to this chapter. There's a lot of music in this chapter.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think there, this has the most music, I
3: think. <laughs> yeah, it might have the most music of all of his, of any it chapter he's It probably
5: does, yeah.
3: I do, I, I see... It, it's it's a lot of... Okay, sorry, my brain is not creating sentence. I find it really interesting the way that this song is not alluded to being something that she's heard and she is singing. Because most of the songs in this book, including the ones later on, they are couched in some way. You you get an explanation of where the lyrics have come from, who in, who is the author.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: here it's just hers, as far as I can tell.
0: That's how I interpret it, yeah. She just came up with it herself.
2: Mm-hmm
3: and i think in that there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, you know narrative irony of this this character is singing about this sense of freedom and also duty that she has to drive along these roads and this sense of necessity to to risk her life through speeding i i think it's all very uh i think that that for some reason, that the poignancy that I get out of that little verse makes me forgive the rest of the character a lot
0: more. Mm. That's an interesting point of inclusion. I I can't say that I thought too too much about the song, but that would make sense if that's why that's being put in there.
1: I will say I I did I I didn't get as much from the lyrics as, as Will did, but I do I do like the point that you brought up, Will, and, and I. I think that adds a, a dimension to that song that I may have missed in reading it, but I did like that particular scene just for, I, I think in in touching on the music in this chapter and, and throughout the book as a whole, um, I think this particular scene, there's something I think that is, uh, I, I love a scene like this, and I think this goes back to, again, the TV thing, but just in general, like for me personally, I, I, there's a very um emotional resonance for me in in a scene where someone's driving and 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 has music on or is is making music or singing or whatever there's a a connection that i have formed in my life between driving and music that um that this scene just kind of like reignited when i was in college uh my my friend who was my roommate um he and i would take turns on weekends we would drive this was when gas was still pretty cheap uh we would drive out from San Antonio to Bernie where my where our parents lived um and back so it was like a good we could stretch it out on on back roads and make it a good like hour and a half if we really wanted to and we would take turns bringing different albums to listen to along the way and it was just a neither of us would talk we would just enjoy the music that we had selected for each other and we used it as an excuse to try to share music with each other that we either didn't know or didn't like particularly, and try to sell the other one on it. Um, so I always, I always do love a, a scene where someone's driving with with music, and it's just having a, you know, they're having their moment with that music. It's always a really uh, resonant scene for me.
3: Yeah, I, I, I really, the reason that I am, I am, I am defending this section so much really comes down to the fact that I do like the relationship between Shay and uh, Prairie. In the oh, scenes, I do too. In the scenes where the where Che's home life is not really the subject of conversation, I think she's really endearing. I think that she's very believable. I think that she is a, an important person of Prairie and you can feel the fingerprints of her on the the character earlier and later in the book and I, yeah I, it it sucks that it feels like you're supposed to connect the abuse to like her her clear advances on Prairie that I do think are just really sweet little scenes of teenage, you know, experimentation.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I do like Che as a character other than, you know, this, this aspect of her home life. And I do, I do like her relationship with Prairie. I actually wanted to ask too, if anyone got the same impression that they almost have a similar relationship to, DL and Frenessi
1: yeah I did kind of pick up on that as well
0: the thing that I find so interesting about it is it it is it does feel like it is somewhat cyclical to that kind of relationship because you have Mm -hmm. this one person who is you know uh, presumably Che is somebody who not only gets you know arrested but does get in you know fights or has some capability to handle herself in a in a physical altercation she certainly is is capable in the the great eyeshadow raid of whatever year that was, um, mm-hmm. and then you have you know Furnessi or in this case Prairie, her daughter, kind of filling that role of like also capable but not the first to really step into to any of these things. But there is like a a somewhat flirtatious element to their relationship um, between Che talking about how she's she's dressed up specifically for Prairie, which. You can read that it's just sort of friendly banter. But then at the end of their section, the piece of clothing that she steals for Prairie to wear specifically is lingerie. Um, yeah. And while it isn't described specifically the cut of it, there are certain pieces of that kind of lingerie that are very revealing, um, which gives a different undertone to their relationship and to that earlier comment. So I, th- I think it's also interesting that there's there's something in there about the fact that they, they, they both seem to be two halves of the same coin in the same way that that, that D.L and Farnesssi were back in the '60s. Mm-hmm.
3: So I, I would beg to differ slightly in that I OK.: think, I think um, you're 100 percent, right? Like the, there is a, a you know a duality there, but I, I think there's very little to actually connect Freney and Prairie in terms of personality when you compare them to the scenes between DL and Fernesi. like obviously i think there's a there's a you know that there's similar degree of intimacy and i think that this almost rises to the level of explicit um in in terms of discussing the that kind <coughs> of intimacy but um i see it a bit more as just kind of a rhyme um, unless
5: it's mm-hmm. a cycle.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's a fair characterization. Yeah, that that's really all I disagree on. Yeah, I get you. Uh, so moving on, if no one has anything else to add about Che and Prairie, um, we get we get to some pretty interesting stuff about Hector's uh, tube addiction and yeah. specifically his recovery center and how he ended up there um the story of how he ended up there was one of the funniest aspects of this chapter with with his his wife getting so upset at how much tv that she was watching that she begun to feel as though the tv was almost a a human mistress and then she shoots it and Ector says well if it's a person you just committed murder so he he performs a citizen's (laughs) arrest on his own wife and then the the condition of their no fault divorce is that he has to go to a recovery clinic. Um, other than the the general hilarity of that whole situation, did we have any thoughts on this section uh, with with Ector in the 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 Tubal detox facility?
3: Oh, it reminds me a little bit of Synanon. In oh okay, in just the sense that like the the sixties was full of these like rehab facilities run by people who had not a lack of qualifications but a lack of like common sense and experience with human beings
0: sure yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> just That's like this
3: absolutely absurd attempts to treat these things like i i think there's a reading where you could see the tubal detox as a conspiratorial you know government facility designed to take people and make them crazy but I think it's also just like a bunch of people who are trying their best and terrible, terrible at helping anybody,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, that's so true. yeah, go ahead, Cody it,
1: it, no, it is that's I think it's it's an interesting way of looking at how addiction treatment worked at that time. I, I worked in in heavy quotes um because it was still a and not that it's gotten tremendously better since then, which is a depressing thing to say, but um ultimately, like, yeah, at that time, like addiction was I think kind of finally starting to be seen as a serious medical condition and not just like people making a choice and, and letting themselves burn out. Um and so it's 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 a very, you know, absurd and, and and funny scene, but at the same time if you kind of look at it as, you know, this is what people kind of were going through who were trying to get clean from various drugs at that time. Like they there really wasn't very good options for getting treatment. And so it, it that's where you get on is, you know, these people who are maybe trying to be earnest in their, in their attempts to help, but don't have any clue what they're doing. And so they're either at best doing really n- little to nothing to help or at worst making the situation worse and just driving that person back um, and, and putting them in a worse situation than they came in with. But um yeah it was it's it's maybe one of my favorite scenes in the chapter
0: yeah i love I love it too. I think that it's there's there is so much going on in it that I feel like you could spend an inordinate amount of time most likely talking about it between will's mention of like there is a reading to be applied that it's it's a governmental conspiracy. There are certainly aspects of the building that seem conspiratorial between the fact that the like Maps for the building are always changing and mm. the, the size of the building seems to be changing potentially as well. It's, it's getting larger, getting smaller as they like add wings or rooms to it and take them away. And there is that whole aside about like, you know, exposing him to a series of short videos that if completed would would completely break his sanity. There is there is certainly that element to it. But then there's also just sort of. A Very. I don't even know what word, what word to use here? Like a very honest rendition of what it's like to be addicted to something. Yeah. Even though obviously there's, there's an element of tongue in cheek here, given the, you know, the song that they have to sing in the mess hall every single day, or, you know, just sort of the actor, maybe as a person, this person who's constantly singing like, you know, theme songs to TV shows and everything. But when you get down to some of the quotations, which I'll, I'll read here in a second. Um, like it, there is just some very honest portrayal of what addiction is like and what it's like to to struggle through that in a way that again makes this book somewhat uh, resonant with with Infinite Jest. But um, Will, I think you're about to say something as well.
3: Oh, I was just gonna say that I th- I think that the homeopathic idea it, it's so hilarious in in that very deeply painful way because. Yeah, that's that. going back to just the way that, you know, early drug rehabs worked. Yeah, that's the kind of logic they thought made sense. And it's just deeply hilarious to imagine that somebody is addicted to television. And your solution to it is to give them, like, t- tiny, like, news clippings, essentially. <laughs> and that's yeah. going to make them not want to watch television anymore not to say that you know there you know there aren't uh, drug maintenance therapies that work and not to say that there aren't uh, situations where for some reason pharmacologically that does actually work out but in general just the idea that some like in in real life the idea of somebody being really into television and loving sitting there and just letting a story wash over them and just letting loving the loving the ability to just let go of yourself and to fall into the fantasy of a plot that makes sense for for the treatment to be here is a video of a person walking down the street art do you do you hate tv now
0: (laughs) what if we created television so boring that you'd never want to watch television again i really yeah it's just it's a little clockwork orangey yeah yeah I, I was gonna say it brings to mind the story of how robert Downey jr quit drugs where he had a he had a burger from burger king that was so bad that it convinced him to dump like i think like eight pounds of cocaine in the ocean or something like that Jesus, and Christ. And, and check himself into a rehab facility like that is his actual his actual story of how he ended up quitting drugs which yeah I mean, is, is wild
1: I will say to to kind of put my my final pin in this section. This this scene does have some of my favorite uh, just prose, like it, just the writing in this, yeah in these couple pages is absolutely beautiful.
0: It does really have a lot of amazing writing in it. Other than the constant, I don't like pitch on songs. It's just the constant song interjections.
1: <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of them in this chapter.
2: Yeah.
3: I really like the, the songs in these kinds of scenes. Actually, in general, I agree with you that they're they're, they're a, a symptom of a good author getting away with something that no one should be able to get away with. Mm.
1: I, I do the the tube song is good. I will say that is yeah. I think the tube maybe song maybe my is favorite great. in here.
3: But in these scenes where we're looking at like these these dense networks of genuinely uh, unhinged people. Uh-huh. People who are forming their own realities amongst other people and with other people who also don't see the world correctly. That's when I start to think, yeah, yeah. N- now people are just gonna break out into song with weird puns <laughs> <full, laughs> filling the lyrics. Yeah, that, this actually does make sense to me as a reader.
0: Yeah, that's fair. It does. It does make me wonder if you know. Pinchon is truly updating Vineland to modern times, which if that news that came out this past couple weeks is accurate is so sad. Um, Cause that was exactly what we talked about feeling impossible on our show, like a month mm-hmm. ago. Um, I would be curious if a, he's doing anything with television and if two, this, this musical number could be included. Cause I could see it. I could see it in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. This one in particular.
1: I'm, I'm still not convinced that it's it's fineland or an, a, even really? a modernized I really I just there's there's nothing I've seen that is I th- I think at this point people are are projecting what they want it to be onto it yeah it's it's leonardo dicaprio and he's got a daughter and we, there's a mention of kung fu in the in the um the spec thing that went out a while back that does, I mean that's such a vague you know small part of of the book that you know maybe there's elements of it that are taken from it i just i don't know maybe i don't want it to be i don't don't want it to be a modern day
0: vineland either but i i feel like that's what it is cody
1: i think maybe well then maybe i'm just trying to convince myself that pt anderson can do better than that i mean
0: it, it the master is inspired by v
1: yeah um, it is inspired by but it, it it's not enough to be a an adaptation of it you know yeah no absolutely in 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 the same way that um there will be blood was inspired by oil like that True. the there's such a disconnect between the the script and the book that i can see the parts that he pulled from it but it's yeah not, like the, it's the not 25 be... pages
0: in oil that forms the yeah. basis of their yeah
1: weapon. the fact that it like it, i i really don't think it should be considered an adapted screenplay i, I think that's no it's a 300 I mean, okay. something page book and it, yeah like 25 pages of it maybe made up that movie
3: so they okay i agree actually on there will be blood and oil but also it's not a new practice it's not something that like paul thomas anderson invented like I, no. No. I, last last year I read Roadside Picnic and then just this last week I finally that's watched nothing Stalker. nothing like Stalker. Yeah, I was going that that's my point actually. It's just that like the cinema has a long history of a- adapting novels in ways that have almost nothing to do with them except for thematics.
1: Yeah, right. or they they take like an element of, of something from a book and then throw it into their thing. Yeah, it's not
3: Yeah, and I I, I, I can totally see him take making like his uh, apocalypse now out of this in terms of you know a, a trueness to adaptation mm-hmm.
1: i could Form. see him pulling the the zoid and prairie relationship out of the book and inserting that into something modern that i that tracks for me but i i just can't see i, I think he's smart enough to know that the the time frame plays such a key part of this story that it it almost can't be modernized and tell the same story
2: well
3: i okay can't tell the same story sure but what you can do is take the same uh character elements the same thematic elements and the same plot structure right,
1: right. that's what i mean yeah you can take you can dissect parts of it and and kind of construct something new of those parts and it would be its own kind of thing inspired by vineland but it's not I don't think it can be Vineland unless it is set in this time frame yeah i, I hope you,
0: I hope you wouldn't call it Vineland. I agree with you. I just don't think Paul Thomas Anderson agrees with you
1: <laughs> <laughs> p. t. Anderson, come on the show, let's talk.
0: <laughs> defend yourself we yeah. we We follow you on Twitter Pt. We're calling
1: you out. <laughs> oh
0: man. um so, yeah, moving on to Sid Liftoff and Ernie Triggerman, um, they have provided uh, Hector with a contract to make a movie, and we' retreated to a, a wonderfully descriptive passage about how uh, hollywood is is becoming more conservative to match with the times. and we get we get Reagan himself speaking mm-hmm. in this section about about uh, what the two of them are preparing to make a movie about and the sort of cascading paranoia of people in Hollywood dumping all their drugs and trying to, to avoid getting pinched. Um, yeah. What do we have any thoughts on, on this relationship between the three of them, what they're, what they're working on, by the way, the, the audiobook uh narrator's impression of Reagan actually pretty good. Really? He, he does. He does do a Reagan impression for that one line of dialogue. And it was, it was not bad.
3: I really do find this uh, a, a wonderfully dense section to mine for entirely contradictory uh, implications.
2: Mm.
0: To tell.
5: Well, I, I,
3: I think that there's something to be said for the way that you can buy into Hector's sense of uh, reality about this entire project that he is pushing along while you can also completely buy into, uh, you can completely buy into the idea that uh, Lift and what's the other one's name? I've lost Triggerman. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Triggerman and Liftoff really do view him as just a kid at the arcade. Oh, totally. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's it's really fun to think about what both of those uh, perspectives kind of superimposed imply, because they're not. You you can't actually hold them both to be true, um, but I I do think that there is something between those truths. Cause I'm, I'm cur-
0: Yeah, I guess why why do you find those incompatible?
3: Well, because basically, because you have linking them together, you you have this idea that uh, these guys are simultaneously ruining but also possibly saving Hector's mental health while he's in this uh, particular asylum.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The idea that this this hope at turning real life into a movie or a television series is the the thing that's preventing Hector from actually developing a, a connection to reality and to, you know, stop being overly invested in the stream of pretty pictures and musical jingles that he lets himself get taken away by. I think that there, there's enough uh, contradiction between those things that y- you can't easily accept all of them.
0: That's true. I, I guess this this section reminded me a lot of um, Pinchon's essay on sloth like that idea that an outward perspective on it can tell you one thing, but is it actually truly damaging in the way that that word finitionally requires was, was what I was thinking about a lot during the section. Um, and I don't, you're, you're, you're correct in that. I don't know if there's, a, if there's a clean way to square that circle, so to speak, but um, it, it is interesting how those two things interplay. And especially from a standpoint of they are simultaneously afraid of him because of the government that he technically represents by his presence in the film industry, but also understand that he's like a bit of a rube, as you've (laughs) as you've mentioned, uh, Will. You are correct in that there's a lot of very interesting sort of dynamic to their relationship back and forth like that. So we know that um Actor is wanting to turn Fernesse's story with uh twenty four FPS and the, the PR three and Brock Fond and all of that into a movie. We've we've gotten a a better insight into what he actually wants to create out of it through these scenes and how he's getting the backing of government to essentially just use it as a propaganda piece, which is something that the government has done so many times. In fact, there is a if I'm not mistaken, there is a brief reference to um, Reefer Madness in this chapter and William Randolph Hearst and the mm-hmm. whole allyship between the government and um, what would eventually become the DEA I wish I could remember that guy's name the government official that was in charge of that who went around promoting the idea that marijuana is evil um, um, I wish I this is going to drive me insane now yeah, it's I like know. right on the tip of my tongue are you the, um, like the first director of the DEA, or no? The guy who William Randolph Hearst worked with to promote the oh, conspiracy okay. around cannabis, Uh Harry Anslinger. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So if if people are unaware of this story, which I'll only briefly recount, because it 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 is essentially the same kind of thing that that Pinchon is getting into as to why this film is being you know. Invested in by the government is that in uh, the the early 1900s, um, William Randolph Hearst was a newspaper magnate. Uh, he is essentially Citizen Kane. If you've ever seen Citizen Kane, that movie <laughs> is a very essentially movie is a very thinly <laughs> veiled bi- bi- biopic on William Randolph Hearst. It's a wonder um, it even
1: came out because of Hearst.
0: True, yeah. And William Randolph Hearst had purchased a whole factory for the production of paper for newspapers specifically. And it spent a whole bunch of his money doing this. And then at the exact same time, someone invented a machine called the decorticator that would make it significantly easier and more cost-effective to make paper out of hemp, which would be a superior material in just about every single regard to newsprint paper. Uh, Newsprint paper sucks. I don't know how many of our listeners have tried to read an actual newspaper But if you finish that process without having ink all over your hands, (laughs) you're an incredibly lucky person and they also yellow and they don't age well and it's super thin. It's just real bad. Uh, So William Randolph Hearst was standing to lose a lot of money um, due to this. And so he teamed up with Harry Anslinger, who would then chair the department of the government that would eventually turn into the DEA a few years later to have him go around the nation. Talking about how marijuana, which was technically a wild uh, form of tobacco in Mexico, I want to say, was this evil was this evil drug that was causing non-white folks to go insane and assault white women, was literally the pitch on this, yeah. um
1: basically, smoke once and you'll have like a psychotic breakdown. Yeah, become a walking monster. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Which is why cannabis, which is the technical term for for what most people refer to marijuana as was was changed from being referred to as cannabis to being referred to as marijuana. And hemp comes from the same plant as cannabis. And so he was able to stoke enough fear in the public opinion um, to push to have hemp and its byproducts completely outlawed. And Reefer Madness was a film that came out of that hysteria and it was government propaganda. So when Pinchon goes on this sort of aside talking about how the government is beginning to invest in pictures as a way to get people off drugs or to discourage people to use drugs. This is a playbook that was run uh, a lot um, and has continually been run through through the years i don't know if there was any necessarily like speaking in real history films during the reagan administration that did that but um like the dare program was was essentially the exact same thing and there was a lot of other things that they did from a top down level in schools to try and promote this and speaking of contradictions like will said um did this while importing cocaine and crack into neighborhoods during his administration which is also commented on in the conversation between yep. Frenesi and actor um so again this is a case where Pinchon's understanding of history creates these moments of synthesis where even if what he's talking about did not necessarily occur in the decade that the book is being written in it is something that the government has done time and time again and probably still will that that whole uh what was that active valor Navy seal movie was all propaganda made by the government to, to support, you know, the department of the Navy. Um, you know, the, the government has made video games as a recruitment tool for, for the U S military. Um, it's, it is something that they do a lot, but the reason why Ector goes to Vegas to speak with Furnessi is to try and get her to direct the movie about her own life um in a very i don't necessarily want to say extortionist way because he's technically not extorting her or or necessarily blackmailing her but is putting her in a position where because of the budget cuts he knows that she's probably gonna say yes to the proposal because what else is she really gonna be able to do for money and we get the first sort of reunion between prairie and Furnessi in the photograph that Ektor, uh slides over to her. And so building up from there, what did we think about this scene, all of the sort of conversation that takes place between the two of them? Do we have any extended thoughts on that?
3: I see a lot of it as a very direct continuation of uh, just how, how, you know, it's phrased by Furnessi as like, they're not being... Much left in your brain between the the new age therapy and the TV, mm. um, but the, the ways that he's going about his life, having been corrupted by this fake sense of reality, and that he is genuinely coming there as her ex husband's at this point fairly good friend, even if they have some professional rivalries. <clears throat> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's
0: he- a way to put it. <laughs> professional rivalries.
3: Well, yeah, and, and you know, he as we've seen up until this point, especially in the last chapter, Hector really does care about Zoid and Zoid really does care yeah. about Hector. Like they're they are friends even if they even if he keeps arresting Zoid. Um and he's come here to basically say, "Hey, look. I A I'm here to get you to sign off on your rights. B I'm here cuz I need a director. C I'm here because your daughter needs you." And the only way he can frame any of that is as the cop showing up to convince a convict to come back to his jurisdiction. <laughs> and that the the conflict in himself and the conflict between that absurd uh, attitude and the way that Frenesi as a normal, relatively normal person would see this absolutely insane venture of flying across the country to say, hey... Come here. Direct this movie. Your daughter wants to see you. It's not not so caring when you frame it the way that she's seeing it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: I don't really have anything to add, that other than I will put it pretty damn well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think I do think. Just building off of your note here about not even Brock being safe from Reaganomics, I do I do think it's interesting how, in that regard, Pinchon is also kind of creating this this statement of like look even even at a governmental level you can be the most evil piece of shit around who's been the most cruelly effective at at you know executing government policy for 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 one reason or another but uh you're not safe from anything you're really only as good as your last envelope as far as the government is concerned and they will just take that away from you um there is also an additional interesting component in that section cody where it says that specifically the people who just started showing up looking for jobs are people displaced by the war in vietnam yeah and that that whole sort of engine of death and destruction has continued to sort of reap rewards for the government in that now they have a a whole new spate of workers who are willing to to sort of do whatever they need to do to get in good graces of the government that has to provide them with citizenship. Um, So just again, these like little, just little sentence long bits of commentary that Pinchon throws in here uh, that can be easily, I don't want to say dismissed, but, but glossed over. Like if you're again, not doing a close reading of this book, because in this, in this section, we have one, once one of these historical playbooks for government, we have a statement on the fallout of the Vietnam war We have a statement on Reagan importing crack cocaine into majority black neighborhoods and and all of that. And really, it's all couched in this conversation between a man trying to get a woman to sign a contract. Like, it is just very impressive that he's able to weave all those things together um, in such a harmonious manner where none of it stands out Mm -hmm. as, as being just sort of the author talking to the reader directly
1: yeah I think that's one of the reasons that this this is one of my favorite sections of this entire chapter and mm-hmm. it's exactly like you said like there's there is so much that is interwoven into like what three or four pages altogether that this is taking place over um and it's i I, I had to go back and like reread portions of it as I was reading it just to like try and keep track of of everything that was going on, but it's it's so intricately woven and well done. And I, uh, it's, yeah, it, this is definitely one of my favorite sections in, in here.
0: So she does reluctantly agree, seemingly not just out of, you know, preservation of, of her own well being and her need for money, but also because she does want to see her daughter. That section where she goes back to the photo is, or goes back to oh, get God. the photo rather, is very touching. Yeah. Um, and so her and Flash get ready to go back to Vineland, but not before they run into a picket line outside the airport, which was another one of my my favorite sort of humorous sections of this chapter. Just the concept that a picket would stop, hold an impromptu vote, a vote? And, then, and then for them to go back to her and be like, you can go through, it's totally fine. Like yeah, he, like we, you're we spoke. <laughs> Your argument about this is 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 too awkward for us to to feel responsible for. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we also are treated to like a pretty. Sad aside from the perspective of Flash and Furnessi's son son. Um, does anyone want to read that quote? I was looking for the the page that it was on. Um,
3: yeah, I, I have it. Um, yeah. One... Just before they left for the airport, step lively time once again, Justin took her aside. Is something after us, Mom? According to his dreams, a nightly news service, the thing pursuing was big and invisible. Would she even let on that she knew about it? Don't worry, she told him. It doesn't eat kids. But didn't sound that sure. They had both been acting weirder than Justin had ever seen them, flaring up at each other and at him. Drinking and smoking too much, appearing and disappearing on no schedule he knew of. The smartest kid Justin ever met back in kindergarten had told him to pretend his parents were characters in his television sitcom. Pretend there's a frame around them, like the tube. Pretend they're like a show you're watching. You can go into it if you want, or you can just watch and not go into it. The advice came especially handy, especially in handy, when they got to McCarran International and found some service workers out on strike and a picket line.
0: That yeah, was, it's, yeah. A, it, it's such a sad. Like their their son is kind of a forgotten character in this whole in yeah. this whole book, but like, what a horrible upbringing that child must have!
1: Like, well, I think what's frustrating about it is this is in the same chapter as what we were talking about earlier with Che, and like this is this is a good example of writing a situation where a a kid is in a shitty situation mm-hmm. and and in an, a borderline abusive. Uh, parental situation. We don't. I mean, it's not explicitly stated that there's abuse going on, but it's certainly implied that there could be, given the you know the 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 way that they behave around each other. Um, and so th- and this is handled very well. And it it's it's a short section. It provides us enough detail to to understand Justin's home life and you know. But we you know, I get it's just frustrating that we couldn't get that with with Che as well. So. I don't know. That's yeah. That was on my mind when I was reading this part.
0: And then, I mean, we also do get the 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 brief sort of mention of the fact that um, Flash wanted Furnessi just because she was she was Brock's woman. Yep. And that and that he would just watch her from afar at the the camp or the prep uh, facility, just sort of like essentially the way it's described, really just sort of lusting after her.
1: Oh yeah, like he coveted yeah. her and took her from Brock and that's, yeah
0: Yeah, it's, it's just the same thing over again Um, but the same the same level of devotion does not seem to be there Um, and there's this sort of undercurrent running through a lot of the book, and especially in the conversation between Hector and Furnessi about, sort of why they left each other in the first place, and, and Pinchon has sort of deliberately kind of kept that obscure until now, um but yeah, it's, it's just, again, these like little moments of character that he just continues to throw in there, even as he's moving towards the end of the book. is, is just very impressive. Yeah. Do we have any thoughts on the first half of Chapter 15 that we want to get to before we, we move on to funny parts um, that kind of has them landing at the airport back in Vineland after this awkward
1: interaction with the, the Union folks? Okay, I'll I'll put this question out there. Do we does this chapter work well as a single chapter or or do you feel like it should have been split into two chapters?
0: That's I mean, that's a good question. I don't know where he could have split it unless he like that paragraph where it says like they landed back in Vineland. Like I suppose you could start a new chapter there, but I I feel like it's sort of a horse apiece either way. Um I didn't feel like he was deliberately padding anything out,
1: yeah, I didn't need the chapter, yeah, it, it feels like just a natural good natural through line to go from one p o v to the other, but yeah
2: it's
1: yeah, a good, it's a good half of the chapter so far
2: well, Luger will
3: I don't think he should have split it because I think it's really important that it is the um the same number of episodes as Ulysses, minus the, oh, good, <laughs> minus Scylla and Charybdis, or not Scylla and Charybdis. What's the other one? They're the, the Wandering Rocks, which means it's the same, uh, you know, all that good bullshit with uh, plot structure <laughs> and you know, synchronicity. All uh, that good bullshit. No, I mean, I don't think it matters. Um, I think that it's alt. I, th- I think it's only one chapter because it's uh, it's m- maintaining and building momentum up until yeah. like mm-hmm. the last three pages.
1: Yeah, I, I think if there was a, a separate chapter in here, it would it would feel unnatural and break the the narrative flow too much.
4: Yeah, it feels natural. Like like y'all said that it's just one chapter. I mean, <clears throat> it is somewhat episodic um but the episodes kind of flow
0: into one another in a pretty natural way so awesome so that does that does bring us to funny parts did um we have any from this first half that we wanted to talk about other than what we kind of covered in the course of the chapter itself
1: we have to talk about the the made-up movies it, oh, the, the Brian Gumble story. They do extend into the into the end of the chapter as well, but Sean they Connery in the G Gordon Liddy story, <laughs> John Ritter in the Brian Gumble story. Like and it, the funny thing is, like as absurd as these things sound, like if you look up pictures of Sean Connery and G. Gordon Liddy, yeah, yeah, it it could work. Pee Wee Herman is Robert Musel. Yeah, it could work. Mm-hmm.
3: Now that that's one that gets me laughing every time I think of it.
1: That one, that one in the the NBA Finals one was really good too. Just the the I the the
3: simple idea of anybody wanting to see a Robert Musil story movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just why? Like G. Gordon Liddy? Okay, bullshit. You know? Oh, we, we're making a movie about this important person. No, we're just gonna make a movie about this obscure modernist author who killed himself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Have have any of you guys seen the ad for Gold Bullion that G Gordon Liddy did in like the late nineties, no. early two thousands? Oh my god! You'll have to put this in the show notes. Um, Absolutely, Cody. Yes. But I'll I'll send uh, the link to the chat here. He I have no clue why he was selected as the the spokesperson for this gold bullion company, but he literally did like. Just sort of TV infomercials for gold when he was older.
2: God,
1: (laughs) I'm gonna watch this as soon as we're done. This is that's what the hell is that?
0: (laughs) It's about the closest thing to a pinch on like piece of reality.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, they're they're what the hell?
5: He just he Um, just yeah, it's
0: amazing. Jesus,
1: (laughs) the 90s were really something else they really were um the other the other funny part for me in, in this part of the chapter is the idea that bud light tastes better when it's warm um
0: oh yeah when they're sitting outside drinking just on, a case of beer because they can't yeah, have cocaine anymore
1: Page 341 um does i'll start in the middle of the paragraph here but uh, Hector, I do apologize for my outburst and also for my shortcomings as a host. Please, here a Bud Light, not exactly being fría, but the warmer temperature brings out more of the flavor, don't you think? Like, <laughs> just,
0: that's just such a the the concept that there is flavor to In Bud, Bud Light, Light, yeah, yeah. Uh, other than I guess maybe nickels is the, the <laughs> first
1: time I had beer was was Bud Light, and I remember I was like. Seventeen or something and I snuck one of my dad's out of the fridge mm. and I took a sip I was like this is terrible and I, I did not touch beer until I don't know like probably six or seven years later like I, I would drink whiskey before I ever drank beer and I had to find a good beer to drink to go oh wow it can have flavor this is interesting do you remember what that beer was it was Scheinerbach actually Oh, yeah,
0: yeah that's
3: fair so I fun fun fact my sister loves uh, Bud Light. Why? Cuz she's a super Oh my taster.
1: my dad and his friends all drink Bud Light and Michelob. I
0: don't understand that. Basically yeah, my, any,
3: my, any flavors too much.
0: Yeah.
4: My, my sister always orders Bud Light with lime
0: with a lime not Bud Light lime but Bud Light with oh a lime. God. Fair. I can understand getting like a you know a Corona with a lime. But what is that adding to Bud Light, other than I guess any semblance flavor, of flavor? Yeah. yeah, that's wild. I was—I yeah. mean, I was lucky enough to, by the time I was drinking age, to be living in Wisconsin, where I am spoiled for choice of very excellent local breweries. Yeah, um, my first beer was a Spotted Cow, which is a huge deal up here for those who are unaware of Wisconsin beer.
1: I never had a Spotted Cow. I did. I. I... Once I got like discovered that beer could be good, I mm-hmm. went and and found a lot of really good ones. And yeah, I quit drinking years ago. But there was some really good. I mean, there there yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Don't drink Bud Light, please. It's, it's don't don't wall. drink Bud Light. It's the Lacroix of beer. Don't do it.
0: Yeah, it's it's it tastes like somebody six rooms away from you is screaming the word beer. Yeah, as you're <laughs> drinking it. Yeah, um, it. It
3: tastes like a belch.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's yep. a good descriptor. That's, yep. They can really put that on their can, I think. It tastes like a belch. <laughs> it is like, oh, God. It's just so bad. Yeah, there's, there's so many good choices. Not, not that, you know, the overabundance of local breweries did not keep me from drinking PPR for most of my adult life. Uh, it did not. But still, there, there are better choices than Bud Light. PBR is a better
1: choice than Bud Light. <laughs> but that's a low bar to clear. <laughs> Drink
3: Mickeys or steel reserve before Bud Light. Oh, my God
0: so fun fun fact about steel reserve that won a blind taste test by like an actual beer I like I think it's, I heard about that yeah it's
3: remarkably decent for the price
0: yeah every time i see see steel reserve in a let's face it, a gas station um i I <laughs> always look at that can like, man, that just looks like something that somebody wearing a wife beater sitting on a porch would be drinking in like a really like you're not gonna make good choices
1: drinking that
0: no yeah no not at all anyway throughout this entire recording i've been drinking a working draft uh beer which is a madison beer company so (laughs) nice it gives you a better option for drinking than bud light uh anyone else have any funny parts from the chapter besides besides
5: that Okay, so that so, brings us... Yeah, go ahead, Will. So, uh, two things. First of all, Luke, were you going to say something? I felt
3: like we kept cutting you off.
4: No, no, it's fine. Okay.
3: Um, my, my funny part of the chapter is... Uh, sorry, no page number listeners, but the, right after we find out about what happened to Ditsa's film archive... How about Ditsa? Still with her friends, hiding out. She's okay, but she's scared. Well, so was Prairie. She had no choice but to stick with these two, and was only marginally reassured by the one hundred and thirty five thousand dollar manufacturer suggested retail price of the ride they took to Vineland. The ultimate four wheeling rig, a Lamborghini LM002, with a V twelve engine that put out four hundred and fifty horsepower, custom armored, wired and dialed to the hubcaps. It was like the be- it was like being taken off in a UFO. I just think it's truly hilarious because it is just a commercial thrown in the middle of this
5: chapter
0: very true yeah like oh well, it's it's product placement yeah. in, in in the the sort in of comparison TV show, yeah. to tv yeah just suddenly one of the characters is like oh man i it, there's like a i don't think it's purposeful product placement but in the first episode of justified there is a scene where one of the characters talks about how lysol is the greatest cleaning product known to man And she mentions, like, how she uses it so often that when I was watching, I was like, man, if this wasn't like a country redneck character who's talking about using Lysol to clean up the blood that got on the carpet from her shooting her own husband three days ago. I would think that this is a a piece of product placement because it's a real effective ad just midway through this episode. Also, have have any of you read the books that
3: those that that shows based on because I, I watched that pilot just a month or so ago and I had the same thought
0: but it uh-huh. also seemed like the kind of thing that Elmore Leonard would have written the books are good I would recommend
1: them I haven't yeah. heard this. I've read some Elmore Leonard I have not read those particular books
0: are you gonna watch justified will yeah probably I thought please, it was pretty, please do yeah I mean
3: the, the, the pilot gave me kind of a overly formulaic vibe but I'm fine with that in that kind of a show
0: it's, it's one of the only TV shows that I've ever watched that can quote Shakespeare non-ironically in a very earnest manner and still come across as very effective to the audience. Um, oh, so you haven't watched Taskmaster? The British panel TV show? Yes. <laughs> I have, yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, the only one of the only fully scripted dramatized <laughs> television shows that can quote Shakespeare. Um, it Thank is, you it for is being a, precise. Yeah, you're welcome. It, it is a truly excellent TV show, and it's just like there's not an episode of filler in that series from a standpoint of of its of its overall like worth to the rest of the to the seasons. Like it's so good, and everybody who's in that show from. The main characters who are in almost every episode, to the to the side characters who are in one scene, is just so excellently cast and performed. Um, it's probably in my top three TV shows ever made. Although the new the new season was not was not it. I would skip Primeval City. Good to
3: know. Yeah, I'm. I'm a huge fan of Oliphant and uh, Walton Goggins, and I know that Margot Martindale shows up later. So I'm. She does. She yeah, does. I'm. I'm uh, I. I love all three of those actors. So I'm looking forward to it when I eventually get into the show.
0: Yeah, City Primeval was weird because it's it's an adaptation of another Elmore Leonard novel, but not an Elmore Elmore Leonard novel starring Raylan Givens. It's just another novel that he wrote, and they decided to just insert. Raylan Givens instead of the character that's in the book and it's a very faithful adaptation of the book but it does not feel like you're watching Raylan Givens the entire time it's a very sort of uncanny like Frankenstein of multiple sources it's very strange but the first five seasons that they they ever did yeah perfection from beginning to end
1: I will also just say to watch Taskmaster for anybody who
0: hasn't. Taskmaster show. is really good. A lot of those British panel shows are really good. Oh actually. my god! I,
1: we could do a whole thing on like, <laughs> eight out of ten cats. And
0: <laughs> eight out of ten cats does countdowns great. The big fat quiz that. is a great big show. Big fat quiz is always
1: good. Go watch big British fat panel quiz. shows; they're great.
0: Um. Yeah. Taskmaster,
1: Taskmaster has a, a level of pinch on zaniness. I think that. Um, yeah. Some of those others don't. But
0: that's a that's a fair comparison crystal maze uh the reboot that has richard ayawade hosting is really funny um you could actually i could just say like watch anything richard ayawade has done because it's all yeah it's all it's all really solid. travel man is one of my favorite <laughs> travel series of all time just because he's that's the, the thing, host those
1: british panel shows you can just get go down a rabbit hole of everyone who's on there's work and yes. find all kinds of good stuff to watch
0: very true well, all of that brings us to quotes. Um, so um, who would like to go first with their, with their quote for this, this half of a chapter?
1: I'll, I'll go first. Um, so I chose the, um, the opening section, uh, starting on 323. I'm starting at the second paragraph of it, though. Some had chosen to sleep inside their recreational vehicles. Others lay out on mattresses in the beds of pickup trucks. A few had packed on further into the woods, and many had pitched tents in the meadows. Presently, as the light came up and birds started in, clock radio alarms began to kick on in a thickening radio fugue of rock and roll till dawn, Bible interpretation, telephone voices still complaining about yesterday's news. Behind the mountains that climbed from here inland, morning glory blue light grew in the sky. Soon toasters and toaster ovens, wood fires, RV kitchen microwaves, gong-sized skillets over propane flames all working on bacon, lynx, eggs, flapjacks, waffles, hash browns, French toast, and hush puppies, were sending out branching invisible fractals of smell, reaching all over the place, fat smoke, charring spices, toasted bread, just made coffee. People who'd slept overnight in the woods began to wander in. Blue jays appearing on foraging patrols, shrieking, bullying, scavenging, skeagles, seagulls of the redwoods. Radio weather reports called for a real scorcher even down in Vineland after all the fog burned off. Younger cousins looked at the sky and into one another's backpacks. Fishermen set off along the creek bed to see what might be up and feeding, and golfers tried to scheme ways to slip off for a quick eighteen holes down at Los Sombras, a genuine lynx behind the fog hung coast of Vineland. The marathon crazy eights game in a battered but shined up Becker Airstream proceeded ageless as generation begetting generation, like a pot of nickels, dimes, chips, greenbacks, and nuggets that might have been simmering continuously here since the times of the little gold rush. Elsewhere in the in the camp there were other games, poker, pinochle, dominoes, dice, but it was the Octomaniacs as they thought of themselves, who, as a crowd, carried a more coherent look, as if they ought to be wearing matching t shirts, while amongst the assortment of semi strangers in and out of the other games, talent and judgment might be might vary by orders of magnitude, causing delays, astonishment, and episodes of consanguious discombobulation. I that's just a beautiful way to open this chapter, the last chapter. It's yeah agreed the we good food we get good food again uh and, <laughs> yeah um yeah it just has a very uh it, it has that i think again kind of tv opening you know with the the pleasant i can't remember what song it is it's always used in the morning um on different gotta shows get but, up, gotta get out <laughs> yes that one um yeah it, it's it's a very picaresque um just beautiful scene setting
0: yeah i agree I, I feel like i've spent most of my life chasing the breakfast high of a of a breakfast after you've been camping out
1: oh a good camping breakfast yeah. is almost unbeatable
0: it's it really is and i feel like every time i feel like maybe this breakfast that i'm gonna go have is gonna rival it it never does no nah, no
5: nah. uh luke what about you what's your quote uh, so mine's
4: from that same general section, mine's from 324. Uh, some are waking up hungry, bottomless pit, how come it's not on the table yet style, while others had only to think of a frying egg to feel nauseated till noon. Some needed to take in columns of print from morning papers that weren't there, others coffee from any container that didn't leak, at least not too fast. Uh, And it goes on from there. I like like the whole, the opening section in general is really nice. Um, That paragraph is really nice. I'm probably one of the uh, youngest people alive who, at least in America, who remembers reading the paper in the morning every day. Um, (laughs) My dad. My dad uh, is retired now, but he used to be a journalist um, when I was growing up. So I would, you know, we always had the paper around and uh, before school or on the weekend, I would just kind of sit there and read the paper while eating breakfast. um, Partially just to kind of see my dad's name in the paper and see his little picture. Um, Yeah, and I also just love the, love the, uh, love the bottomless pit uh, word. It's all one word. to describe waking up, waking up hungry. Um, the whole opening section is just really, is really pleasant and fun.
0: Agreed. Um, my quote comes from page 336 during the section in which Hector is recounting his time in the tubal detox, where it says after a lifetime of kicking other people around, Hector was suddenly here, put down among the administered judged as impaired Sick, and so, somehow, expendable. Time was, he'd have blown people away for frustrating him less than this. What was happening to him? He had to believe that he was different, even as months began to creep by, that his release really was in the pipeline, that he really wouldn't be inside for the rest of his life, here along these ever-lengthening, newly-branching corridors with progressively obsolete wall maps of the traffic system posted beneath lights he knew, though staff never admitted it, were being replaced each time with lower wattage bulbs. As his program went on, and his need for video images only deepened, he gathered a charge of anxiety that one day, as he looked in the mirror, discharged in a timeless crystalline episode in which both man and image understood that the only thing in the pipeline anymore was Ector, heading straight down it with only the one, call it less than one, degree of freedom, and no way to get out. But headed where? What kind of outside world could they be rehabilitating him for? You'll like it, Hector, they kept reassuring him, even when he didn't ask. Every evening before they got to sit down and eat supper, everybody, holding their mestres, had to sing the house hymn. And then it goes on to include the house hymn there. I, I, just, I love that description for the, the reason that I kind of alluded to earlier in the episode, and that, that is just sort of a good depiction of addiction. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's easy to make jokes about what he's addicted to, right, and how that kind of manifests in a very goofy way for him in a lot of in a lot of respects, but Pinchon still clearly understands and can portray what it's like to be stuck in in, you know, the world of an addict. That whole section of just what what they keep saying I'm going to enjoy the world after I'm cured or whatever, but but for what? Like what, like I can't, you know, when you're in that cycle of addiction, you cannot physically understand necessarily what, what the world outside of that looks like, because it's so foreign to where you're at at that point. And the thing that your, your mind or your body is physically addicted to is, is pretty all consuming to, to obscure that. I think it's, it's really excellently done. And then just sort of describing the ways in which that facility is, is changing and expanding, maybe with the expansion of of more people being invested in the idea of recovery, or you know more money getting flowed into it from one source or another. It's it's interesting that you're trapped in this place for so long that you begin to just denote small changes there, such as the lights getting dimmer, uh, because you really have nothing else to focus on other than that that sort of sterile environment that you're you're sort of stuck in for however long your detox takes. I I loved that inclusion. And, and that,
3: that, yeah, go ahead, Will. I was. Gonna, I, I'm really glad you chose that section, and the, this time, ha- hearing it, and subsequently reading it through, it did remind me of kind of, you know, the ways that you could also read this as like, is this detox facility in any way going to help anyone? Is this, you know, sterile? Is this sterile environment surrounded with fluorescent lights helping anything in any way? Mm-hmm. Even if you take it for granted that he is harmfully addicted to television in some way that hasn't been cre- created by this facility,
0: yeah, definitely. It it reminded me somewhat of of a pretty famous section uh, in Infinite Jest, where Kate Gompert is describing her depression to her her doctor, and the like, gulf of knowledge between her doctor and her from what that illness is like and whether or not. Being in that facility is really going to help anything. I think Dave Vazquez does it better, but I do think that they're they're pointing at very similar targets between those two sections. Uh, it's been a while since Will went last, so here's your opportunity to to take up your previous mantle, Will.
3: Which was that of getting my choices stolen?
0: Of, yeah. of just of just <laughs> reading your quote last? Yeah.
3: Oh, <laughs> well, I I have to say, uh, all of the, your quotes every one of you did choose one that i considered so clearly we're we're converging on a certain vibe
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh and i'm going to go with one that i was worried that you were going to steal kate oh um so it's a, sorry no page numbers everybody but it's it's right at the end of the meeting between Fernesi and hector the dancing mm-hmm. yeah 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 Ooh, that was on my know. list yeah. do me the honor it was a subset of northernized Perez Prado charts, mambos, cha-chas, steps she hadn't done since she was a girl. Despite his attempt to convey seedy decrepitude, she discovered grace, muscles, and that rhythm in his shoes. Hector was interested to find himself with a heart on not for Fernesi who was here, but for Debbie, who wasn't. That girl in the Mormon makeup who'd always held the pink slip to his heart, and the memory of the last time they'd danced together, to the radio, in the kitchen, with the lights off, and the night of love and sex strangely as always intermingled. In other embedded rooms, the croupiers called, the winners shrieked, and the drunks cackled. Plastic foliage the size and weight of motel curtains rippled slowly just below the human threshold for seeing it, arching high against the room lights, throwing lobed and sawtoothed shadows, while a thousand strangers were taken on into a continuing education in the ways of the house, and in general what, what, what would be expected of them along with the usual statistics and sight courses and Furnessi and Hector had somehow danced out into the into all the deep pile and sparkle of it, like a ritzy parable of the world, leaving the picture of Prairie face up on the table, she and Desmond, both squinting upward at nothing, at high risk for hostile magic against the image, the two most likely means in here are being fire and ice. But there the Polaroid, Polaroid lay, safe, till it was rescued by a Las Vegas showgirl with a hard glaze but a liquid center, whom Prairie reminded of a younger sister, and who returned it to, pra- to Frenesi when she came around the next day, her heart pounding, her skin aching for it still to be there, to find it again and claim it. Uh, beyond the, the really wonderful, tiny little bit of characterization towards the end there, mm-hmm. I think it's a really beautiful way to convey the way that Hector is still like a, a, a human being with emotions and sincerity, even if mm-hmm. his brain has been screwed up through all these things, even if he is trying to be a bad guy in a weird way, that he he is, you know, he's dancing. He we were trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that underneath it all, he is a man who loves to dance with his wife and wishes that he could just go back to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that to some extent that's kind of what not necessarily convinces fernesi because clearly Prairie is the one that does that. But I think that, you know, her feeling his sincerity in that very physical way, I think not, not, not his erection, <laughs> just to clarify, <laughs> because I'm I imagining somebody hearing what I'm saying and misunderstanding it, not saying uh-huh. that, but just his, his, his air of seriousness in the dance and the the sincerity with which he moves his body to that I think might might have been the thing that convinced her that this guy is at least being honest with her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no agreed. Funny enough, that was actually my quote going into the episode, and then when we spent so much time talking about the tubal detox, I switched it. Um so I'm glad that it's still I'm glad that it still got (laughs) read out, Will. So your your fears were not unfounded. (laughs) so um with that being said uh cody you have a a listener comment you wanted to bring up
1: yes i i do want to say thank you to dan um dan emailed us um friday pretty early thankfully uh to notify (laughs) me that um i had mistakenly left in some additional audio on the original uh, release for the chapter 14 episode that made things a little bit weird so I apologize for everyone who uh, heard multiple voices talking at the same time and heard ad read takes that weren't intended to be in the <laughs> episode at the same time as the discussion. Uh, that was just a, a miss on my part uh, in editing everything. So I apologize for the confusion there. It should all be fixed now. Um, and it should be back to just the normal uh, thing. Uh, so again, apologies for anyone who was confused by that. That was not intentional. Um And I thank you, Dan, for, uh, for mentioning that to us.
0: Thanks. And also, uh, all of the episodes where Will seems to be quieter for you Spotify folks, um, Mm -hmm. should be fixed now. Uh, So thank you. Should be fixed. Yeah. Thank you, Cody, for all of the excellent work you've done there. Um, all right, everybody. So that does bring us to the end of our discussion on the first half of chapter 15. Um, we will be back next week as usual with the second half of chapter 15. And then of course we'll have the wrap up episode after that. But until we see you all next week, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. See ya.
5: Bye. Have you listened to Wall of Ice yet, Cody?
1: No, I haven't had time. Um, I was, I got super wrapped up in some work stuff Friday. And I also was, I, I just, I read through Our Wives Under the Sea in like two days, I think. That sounds about um, right. Yeah. That was a damn good book. Thank you for for recommending that. I'm yeah. sorry it took so long to get to it, but damn, that You're was fine. really good. It is very, very good.
0: Yeah. Yep, you can thank my ex fiance for that recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it was it, it had been on my radar for a long time. And yeah, um yeah, when you did the bonus episode on it, I was like, Okay, I really need to go and pick it up now. And then so yeah, I loved it and uh my mom has it now, so she's gonna read it at some point. So
0: Nice. Yeah. One of the one of the the best written books I've read and quite a long time and it, it there is no fat on that novel
1: no, you can't you can't no. cut
0: anything out of that book and have it still work the same way it was,
1: yeah it was that was very good between that and finishing cryptonomicon i think i'm taking a break from reading stuff for a little bit that's fair cryptonomicon just, was really really good but i mean it's big it's big and it's not uh, much like gravity's rainbow it's a very meticulously paced story so you really have to slow down and and take everything in as it's coming through um very well written maybe the of the stevenson i've read it's probably his best written um it's got some stuff in it that i think could have been trimmed but all in all i mean I, i loved it front to back
5: yeah you've definitely made me want to read it faster than
0: i otherwise would have that's for sure that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I just need more people to listen to this album so that I know whether I'm crazy for thinking that it's not
1: <laughs> not good or, or not. I'll put it on. I'll put it on tomorrow when I. I
0: please do. I I went to the record store today. Um, at which which speaking of, I I made the wrong outfit choice. I put on my. Do you know the label Heavy Psych Sounds, uh, Cody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I bought a T shirt from them that says six 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 smoke weed, Hail Satan. Um, nice. and I went to the record store in it, which that's fine. But then I went to the grocery store afterwards and it was a Sunday afternoon and oh boy, the looks that I got, uh, <laughs> walking around that grocery store with th- that t-shirt on and my battle fest, not a great, not a great 20 minutes that I spent <laughs> inside the woods. Um, but I, I brought up, I brought this up to one of the guys that works at the record store here where I was like, have you listened to that yet? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, did you like it? He went, no. And then, I immediately, I think I just be what. Thank God, because like the amount of articles that have been written about that album, like about it being better than the first one, about how we Uh should all be happy that the smile is around, that we should all like love the smile while we still can. I'm just like, what are what are all of you hearing here? That just I have just as like I don't know, blown past me. I don't understand.
1: Yeah, I can't. I, I think it says a lot. To the like when I listened to the first album, I just never went back to it after yeah. maybe listening to it twice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a spin at some point. I've been like, I don't know, my, my music in the last week, I'm, I'm I have my title pulled up right now and I've, I, something clicked. I, you know what? I bet it was, um, I've been trying to, my daughter's really into, um, female fronted bands or just female musicians like she wants to hear a lot of that so i've been trying to like show her what i can of mm-hmm. what i like so like last week i was trying to i was showing her uh liz Fair and tori amos okay um and mary Timony too came up a few times and um so she like i don't think she dug tori amos too much which i get that's a very acquired taste
5: yeah that's
1: fine i like it but i think maybe when she's a little bit older she'll appreciate that more but she really she really dug um the the Liz Fair album that I had on so I ended up going on a deep dive of her discography again I need to listen to her new album Liz Fair yeah yeah I haven't listened to that either
0: yeah i like are you waiting to introduce her to Riot Girl music because I feel like oh oh, no
1: she loves Bikini Kill like okay uh, um Rebel Girl is like one of her favorite songs when that comes on she's all over the place singing and dancing and yeah having a good old time yeah oh yeah no my wife and i have exposed her to sleater kenny and and hole and um bikini kill and l7 and all those right girl i love i love that whole scene great
0: yeah the the amount of money that i wouldn't pay uh to see veruca salt
1: live um holy shit i know and they got they got back together not too long ago i don't know if they still they put a new album out did they I didn't know that. Um, Pull it up real quick. Somehow completely Uh, missed uh, me. Ghost Notes came out in 2015.
0: Uh, Not that long. That was almost 10 years ago, Cody.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. It doesn't feel like it for me, though. (laughs) It's always... I swear they were back. Uh, Oh, no. Luis Luis... Luis posted a demos album. That's what I was thinking of. She did that not too long ago. Another solo album. Yeah, Veruca Salt I I I love them and I wish I could have seen them. There's a lot of bands that I wish I could have seen in like mid 90s that mm-hmm. I just did not for whatever reason never got a chance to. There's a, I thankfully a lot of those bands got back together and I got the chance to see some of them. I saw Arches of Loaf not too long. Well, shit, 2013 maybe. Ooh. Uh, 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> again, time I time gave up on since, a long time ago
0: <laughs> time since 2019 doesn't actually mean anything in yeah, my experience yeah, yeah.
1: um no and it's cool because like i get to um I'm, my kids are finally at the age that i can take them to concerts now so we're, we're starting to show them shows that we can when we can um like going to that k-fly concert was really cool my daughter had a great time at that um so i'm just keeping an eye out now on other shows that come through that i can take my son to
0: yeah if you're looking for an interesting artist uh to like i don't know break out of a mold or so um oh god what uh it, the album's called Living Torch it's by the uh this woman i'm like literally looking across my record shelf right now trying to find it i can't remember her name i think it starts with a k uh god that uh, album sounds familiar She's an organist, um, Callie Malone. Yeah, Callie Malone's music yes. is super interesting. She's an organist, and that record, Living Torch, is fascinating. But even more so, the record she did after that, um, whose name escapes me right now, but she did it with her husband, who's one of the guitarists for Sun. Um, okay, and and then one other guy is is amazing. So if you're looking for like interesting, yeah, uh, like music by women, that would certainly be one of them.
1: I'll have to check that out. I do. Um, I tried to get her into PJ Harvey, and I think that was a bit of an acquired taste too. I don't think she really picked up on that one too much. was it, like, what album did you play her? Um, I've I I have had the first three on in the car repeatedly because like dry and uh-huh. um, uh, God, what is the one I'm thinking of? Uh, with to bring you my love on it. Um, and big snake Moan. fucking hell, it's gonna drive me crazy now city um, stories
5: no oh, that, that one though, that's called. a great
1: um those songs that she did with tom wait or tom wait tom york yeah um were so good stories by the city stories by the sea i think that was the first album of hers i ever heard dry um, was the
0: first one that i heard that that dress song um
1: to bring you my love is the album i'm thinking of yeah yeah um, yeah with down oh, down by the water jesus christ that song what about portis
0: head have you tried portis head oh, on your daughter yet
1: yes portis has been one of my favorites for a long time she does i i don't i think it's too uh low energy for her it's a very that's the fair. vibe that portis puts out i need to put this in the show because that's you want to talk about like noir sounding music yeah did you ever I, watch the short film they did to kill a dead man no it's really good
0: That sounds interesting. I feel like that would be, like, if I was making a noir in the modern age, like a neo-noir, perhaps, I would probably ask Portishead to do the score for it.
1: Uh, Good luck. I think they're done. I
0: don't think they ever would, but that would be, like, the dream. It would. The dream. It would really fit.
1: I bet you could plug it in over something like brick, and it would maybe fit pretty well. That's because
0: I could see that either working really well or not
1: at all. I, <laughs> I think if with the right song at the yeah. right point in that movie, it could. I love that movie. It's a great movie.
0: Yeah. If Portishead is too down, then I would imagine so is Mazzy Star.
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I like Mazzy Star. And again, that's one of the like she's I think she's, you know, she's nine. So, yeah, it kind of has to be like higher energy. Yeah. By default, little, little, she's little a little big... young for Beth Givens and,
0: um, yeah. What was the woman in Maddie's Tar camera
1: Um, um, uh, Hope Sandoval. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Cause I've, and I've also put like Belly on and, um, some of that other kind of like shoegazier, um, yeah, 90s stuff. Your um, daughter might like Kate
0: LeBon. Have you played it, her any Kate
1: LeBon? not.
0: That would the be. That sounds familiar. Um, that would be one that i could probably recommend like her album reward or mug museum um or sear are all really good starters and then like her more recent stuff like "Pompeii" and crab day is a little bit more artsy but um those three are those are a bit more upbeat she's a really good guitarist she doesn't really play guitar on her records now but um cirque mug museum and reward i think are, are all her playing the guitar as well but she's a really interesting songwriter
1: that's what I've been trying to show her is like the the women who play instruments. Like that's why I picked up on. Uh, I was like, I need to show her Mary Timony because Mary Timony's guitar playing. I don't know if you've ever heard her stuff. Um, is very especially like her post helium early solo albums had a lot of like um, Mixolydian mode kind of stuff, like that medieval <laughs> sound. Um, and she has this really, I don't want to say flat, but a very like kind of deadpan voice that really accentuates a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, check out uh, the golden dove is probably her best solo album. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And she's got, um, I think she has a new solo album coming out this year. She was on you. You're familiar with bands right? The Aussie yeah. Salak show. Yep. I love so that She show. has that. Yeah. She has that 24 question party people. Show that, that she's doing Part now. of it
0: I haven't really wa- listened to most much okay
1: of. I don't I haven't really either, but Mary Timony was on the most recent one. Um mm-hmm. so I listened to that and boy, she's been through quite a rough patch lately. And um I'm wondering if that's gonna influence a lot of her new album. But yeah, Have that's I think grew- that's the only one of the twenty four question people I've listened to in its entirety. Fair, yeah.
0: Have you played her um Saint Vincent?
1: No, I do. I haven't listened to Saint Vincent in a while. That would be another person that I'd
0: immediately go to, as far as like women, um, yeah. like singers, songwriter, and guitar players. She's great. Yeah,
1: because I showed her. Um, we've I've shown her a lot of Sonic Youth, especially the stuff that Kim Gordon did, and some of Kim Gordon's. Kim Gordon has a new solo album coming out. Um, oh, good for her! Yeah, and she's her new song was really cool. It's like this. Trap beat that she does spoken word over with noise guitar in the background. Like it doesn't Ooh. sound like it work, but it's really fucking cool.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Lux Interior is the singer, but uh Poison Ivy was a great guitarist. So you could you could do some Cramps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, Poison Ivy does have solo material, but I don't know how how worth listening to it is. Or I don't think I've ever
1: heard. I've I've listened to the Cramps, but I've not heard any of the solo stuff that.
0: Yeah. Sushi and the Banshees, obviously, would be Yeah, yeah, another big one. I'm trying to think of, like, there's one particular... Oh, Marnie Stern would be another one that I would probably think of. Mm. But there's this one...
1: Uh, she does like, Amy Mann. That's another one that I've played her a few of Amy Mann's more upbeat songs. And she likes oh, those. Oh,
0: nice. There's one particular guitarist, like, singer-songwriter, I'm trying to remember... I think she was in a relationship with uh, the front man for the Queens of the Stone Age. For Brody Dow. I was just thinking yeah, about Brody Dow. Yeah, yeah.
1: She likes Brody Dow a lot. Yeah.
0: Okay. That would be, yeah. That'd be Her one solo one
1: album was to. really good too.
0: Brody Dow's solo material is real good. He's great. I, w- I,
5: could,
1: I think I listened to that more than anything she did with the Distillers, but.
5: Yeah, that's, that's understandable.
0: Yeah, they were married between 2005 and 2019.
1: Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that whole relationship exploded pretty badly. Yeah, well,
0: Josh Hom was a bit of an alcoholic for uh, a hot minute. Yeah,
1: yeah. They put on a good show. I saw Queens of the Stone Age a few times. They were good.
0: Queens of the Stone Age them... is a band that I am would be entirely interested in seeing live, dependent completely on what the lineup of
1: the band is. <laughs> so the first time I saw them was with they had dave grohl and we, no one knew he was going to be there it was just like he showed up at a, at a show in austin and he played with them that was a fantastic show peach is open yeah. to that show can't show my daughter her yet but one day no we'll be that's, ready for that that's a mature <laughs> that audiences only thing. that was an experience and a half we had no idea who she was and my wife and i were front row and got the whole experience yeah um but yeah, they were good then. I saw them again when they opened for nine inch nails in two thousand seven. Okay. Think. Sure. When whenever Lullabies to Paralyze came out and they opened for nails on the Year Zero tour.
0: That sounds correct.
1: Um and then I saw them again when they did uh like Clockwork, which is my favorite album of theirs. So and last the venue, good one, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. Uh the venue they played though sucked. And the uh, the the reverb, the, like the ambient reverb in the in the auditorium was so bad that it sounded muddled. Like everything just kind yeah. of like bled into itself, and it sucked. There's
0: it. a really famous venue in Milwaukee called the Rave that has the exact same problem. Um, the the acoustics in that building just uh, they're so terrible.
1: It can it can kill a show. It really it can.
0: seeing seeing Deftones there was the worst experience I've ever had at uh, a show.
1: That's a band I've never seen. They play San Antonio all the time, and I've never seen them, and I don't know why. Perhaps you just keep thinking they're going to come around again. I, yeah, not even, I don't think they will anymore. Well, I maybe. don't. I mean, now... Well, having Carpenter went off the deep end anyways, so...
0: They're having a resurgence. Uh, if you went to a Deftones concert now, you might be the oldest person there. Really? Yeah, yeah. they're having a huge resurgence among the Gen Z generation.
1: Were yeah. they on a show or something? No, nope. people
3: are just huge fans in my age bracket.
1: It's, I mean, great. I, I, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. That, like, it sucked that they got lumped into the new metal scene when they did, because they definitely didn't deserve to be in that. I think it was them being on the Family Values tour, which, you know, they got to do what they got to do to get exposure. But they definitely never fit in that genre
3: at all. Well, there was a new metal resurgence in general. That was oh. basically a bunch of people saying no, new metal was actually good, and then only pointing to System of a Down, uh, Deftones, and
1: so the uh, the two examples of yeah. new metal not being new metal. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And, exactly. yeah, <laughs> and
3: like Corn, which is the most new metal band, but at I least they I
0: fucking were... hate Corn so much.
3: And look, okay, I'm gonna be honest. As somebody who grew up, you know, post the Corn corn epo- Cornocalypse, um, <laughs> you know, they've got something. Like at least they were doing something. Musically,
2: I oh, guess.
0: Man. I guess it's, I can't disagree with that. I'll, they were doing something. Yeah, I'll I'm take
1: not a, a corn fan. song over a Limp Bizkit song for sure. Oh, ev- oh any day, yeah,
0: absolutely. I'll take corn over Limp Bizkit, but I would also take arsenic over you know, hemlock. <laughs> I
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, so I I have to say, ever since Cody you mentioned just the since you mentioned the idea of you know screaming your head off in the car. I've had Friday Night by Tim
2: Robinson stuck in my head. The song from I Think You Should Leave. <laughs> Not
5: Rounder River Rock? Nope, nope. Friday night,
3: thinking yeah. that we just might. Just nonstop. Thank you very much, Cody, for that.
0: You're,
1: you're welcome. I do what I can.
0: It's so good
3: it's like actually a decent radio single
5: i paid you 7 grand to make
0: me a star that whole that whole superstar tracks records a star saving. a star the fact that in that whole fake spinal uh readjustment ad i think is what it is that it it takes such a hard left turn into this sudden drama about this guy getting scammed and him and Colin Quinn or Colin Moriarty or whatever the guy's name is, just are so close to breaking through their their entire interaction um makes that probably my favorite sketch from that whole series
5: It's really high quality
0: it is it is it's wild that they that they Colin Robinson couldn't get any of his sketches on s n l um apparently a good chunk of the stuff on i think you should leave is all just stuff that snl wouldn't put on air
1: <laughs> it doesn't surprise me too much really at S- snl i don't know they i don't think are taking as much chances as they used to no. with a lot hot, of stuff.
3: hot take having an 80 year old man be the yeah. ep for
0: 50 years doesn't really make for great television
1: yeah yeah, it is it
0: is pretty wild that it's just been Lauren Michaels the entire time.
1: Well, with the exception of that brief part of the eighties, I think, where he left for like two years or something. Yeah, that's true. Which is a time of the show that they probably would rather forget anyway, so
0: apparently Keenan Thompson is gonna be the guy after Lauren retires. Uh,
1: I mean, I don't doubt that, but I don't think Lauren's gonna retire anytime soon. He should. He should have a while ago.
3: Yeah. It's going to be like a Hugh Hefner type situation yep. where they'll, they'll say, yeah, yeah, Kenan Thompson is now the executive producer, but Lorne Michaels will just be sitting in the, in the rafters. He comes with yeah. the house is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. yeah. That was so wild when they sold the Playboy Mansion, but with the contingency that he had to live there until he died. Like, <laughs> why would anyone take that deal?
3: I mean, yeah, that made no sense. It, it's like an Andrew Tate type is the person who takes that deal
1: oh gross but yeah uh,
0: andrew, that's I, much much like luke talking about dreading the time that imagine dragons eventually gets mentioned i've been dreading when andrew tate <laughs> shows up on our.
1: i think we, our i podcast. think he's yeah Popped i think up he's, before
3: yeah, i think cody brought him up a few a few
2: months ago yeah i think i did yeah. i, I don't like that from, from my memory
1: name. i don't blame you
2: yeah so stupid
4: Yep. I have a coworker that's very into Andrew Tate and Oh uh, at the pizza yeah. place? Yeah. Someone it's, who makes pizza. Very, like, <laughs> he uh he like he was he he's very like alt-right, like incelus. I mean oh, he serious. like he was he he started getting really excited whenever Russia banned porn. He like uh he, he loves Russia in
0: general. Um big uh big Putin guy apparently. Show worker fucking Christ. The fact that they're unironically big Putin people blows my mind. Yeah. He's a strong man. Right oh, yes. Yeah. definitely. And it <laughs> stages as many photos as he possibly can with his shirt off. Yeah. Yep. I don't know it. if he still does that, but
3: I'm sure he does. <laughs> I mean the, the truth is I I've, I've had a long drunken conversation with a with a former Soviet man and I nothing surprises me about you know the kinds of things that Russians are into it is more surprising when it's an American but honestly looking at the Trump stuff eh, it's not that surprising anymore for me at least
0: yeah I suppose I don't know, it just seems so strange. Wait, what part of that was former? Soviet or man? or Former both?
3: Soviet. <laughs> former Soviet. If he yeah. were a Soviet former man, I imagine he would be less sympathetic to Putin.
0: Probably true, yeah. Probably. If he
3: were a Soviet former man.
0: <laughs> He's somehow still Soviet, just no longer a man. <laughs> just no... no. Uh, All Soviet, no man
3: And and still he, him
0: Yeah, exactly (laughs) Just
3: just a soulless entity
0: I mean, that would be the perfect mix of contradictions uh, That one would have to be able to believe in In order to be a happy person in the Soviet Union
2: Yeah
5: Marginal revolutions and all
1: We watched, um the the bass reeves show a couple nights ago infinite well we have one episode left i don't know if i've heard of it or seen it or anything How no.
3: how is it i saw that it existed
1: it's not the best it takes a lot of liberties with his life um so I, I i didn't know a whole lot about him going into it but i did a little bit of research before watching the show and like He's a fascinating character. I shouldn't say he was a person. He was a human being. Um, He only killed 14 people of the like 3,000 that he was responsible for bringing in. Um, But the show is turning him into John Wick slowly, which I don't really like. That's cool. Yeah. Um, And it's also just like, I feel each, each subsequent episode is going more and more melodramatic as, as it goes and it's just becoming more and more devoid of any humanity or or humor or warmth or anything and i get that it's a show about you know bass reeves but there i I still think there's room for more than just a lot of depressing monologues and really the dialogue gets real clunky pretty often and it's gotten worse as the show's going on. Like, it started pretty promising, and it's just, we're, like, like I said, we have one episode left of, like, I think the eight episodes that there were. Eh, that's, I'm not going back to it, probably.
0: I So, I've seen ads for the show. I did not realize that the name of the show was law Lawman. Lawman colon Bass yeah. Reeves.
1: Apparently, they're going to try to do more, In like, separate anthology. series of other, yeah, like, other law enforcement his, historical figures.
0: Whatever happened to David O'Elio's career? I feel like he, he was on a real promising track. Hey, no, he was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me
3: three weeks ago. Was <laughs> he? He was, yeah.
0: It's just, it's it was so confusing. Like, he, he was the person who played Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. Yeah. Um, he was in A Most Violent Year in a really good role there. Like, and then just... I don't know what happened. Started
5: doing a bunch of really weird stuff.
0: And now he's playing Bass Reeves in Lawmen colon Bass Reeves.
3: So I was yep. under the impression that Bass Reeves had, had been one of those historical figures who got like a bunch of penny novels written about him. Or dime novels, not penny novels. <laughs> A bunch of penny novels written about Bass Reeves,
2: <laughs>
3: just the smuddiest things ever.
0: That sounds amazing. Somehow, worse version of dime novel.
3: Well, it it brings to my uh, what are what were those called? Like it was um, the, the porn version of Nickelodeons. Drifles? Yeah, something. Any anywho, I know what
1: yeah. you're talking about. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought he was a, a a dime novel like hero too. But it doesn't seem like it. So why why did they make it?
1: I really don't know. Like it doesn't they they're not really doing a good job of sticking to the actual story of his like the fact that he of three thousand arrests, he only killed fourteen people. I think that says something about his character, but he's I mean, he's just walking around with impunity just shooting everybody at this point. And yeah, it's Are you saying that that
0: doesn't make for entertaining television?
1: It Sure, it makes for entertaining television, sure. But, like, I think it would be more interesting if they talk about the fact that he had to arrest his son for murdering his wife.
0: That hasn't been covered in the show?
1: Nope, and there's only one episode left, and that son at this point is six or seven months old, so...
0: That feels like a major missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean... And there's a whole thing where he like there was a couple of pretty big name um, outlaws that he was responsible for bringing in. No mention of them. That's weird. Yeah,
5: I, yeah.
3: It really it feels like it's just like Taylor Sheridan knew the showrunner and was like, "Sure, I'll sign on so that you have a blank check on your weird <laughs> load of funding." Yeah, like half
1: baked western i don't know it doesn't even feel like a western like it that's the other thing is like thematically it should feel like a western and it never does um i I was pessimistic
3: and now you have dashed all hopes i had about this being like not a trash show
0: so yeah it's it's not really a western it doesn't cover any of the important people that he arrested over his life nor does it get into the drama of him arresting his son for murdering his wife
1: Unless that's the like, last episode pulls out some like huge time skip and manages to bring that around, yeah, it's not
0: the last episode is 7 hours long. Yeah, right. Um
1: that's no, like making like a it feels like a procedural. That's the kind of yeah, show it is
0: it's like That's that's really weird. That's that's like making a biopic about like OJ and only covering the football.
1: Yeah, that's essentially like
0: yeah. <laughs> You've heard about the trial.
2: Now find
3: out about the man.
2: Juice. <laughs> the
5: juice is loose.
3: We're not really oh interested God. in uh, the last, you know, what most people know about him. We're really
1: interested
0: yeah. in... That's been done. What, what's below the pop culture figure? Yeah.
1: What makes him tick?
0: What do people not know about O.J. Simpson? <laughs> well, he played football. And was a
5: pretty he good do running back. He a whole back.
1: episode about Hertz commercials too. He there wasn't you go. black.
2: <sighs> <sighs> that's that's wild.
5: Yeah.
0: It really it really felt like there was a period in television in like maybe the early 2010s where the anthology series was like a huge thing. And it feels kind of weird looking at this IMDb page for Lawmen: Colin Bass Reeves.
1: But thank that, you for continually calling it that. It's...
0: that. They seem to be trying to bring back the anthology thing. Cause I feel like that kind of went the way of the Dodo by like 2019.
1: Yeah. You don't, you don't really see it anymore. I'm trying to is think there, of the last one they did really was like maybe American horror story.
4: I well, like think there's, it's oh, no. Fargo is an anthology. Argo.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's Fargo. true.
0: They took several years off between this current season and the, the previous one, but well, they took even longer between the third and the fourth. That's true. And the third season was I feel like the last one that I enjoyed watching, but um, I haven't seen the new season. But like True Detective was an anthology series and holy hell, the absolute disappointment between the first season being like the greatest eight hours of television ever done And then everything afterwards being varying degrees of mediocre. Um, So that was an anthology. American Horror Story was one, Cody.
1: Um,
0: American Crime Story. They did like three seasons of that. Then they did another. It was like another. Crime series that was on FX, because the first season was O.J., and the second season was the shooting of Ver- yeah, Gianni um, Versace. Oh, I thought that was the, the American Crime Story. You'd think so, but there were no. two different anthology series both that did both did, those did
3: O.J. in their first season. Well, but the, I thought that the American Crime Story did the Johnny Versace assassination.
0: There, One of them also did the Menendez brothers, and then also did... Um, they did one with, like, a political thing.
5: I know that there was two OJ anthology
0: series at, the, like, the same time. For sure.
1: Unless I'm misremembering. No, there her. were two at the same time, yeah. Yeah,
3: that, that part's 100% true, yeah. American
0: yeah. Crime Story.
3: So, American Crime Story did Johnny Versace in the second season, and then the third was the Lewinsky scandal.
0: Yeah, mm. so who did the Menendez brothers? Because that's the other one.
3: Fucking Ryan Murphy is all I have to say. I hate every program he's had a hand in. Just. You know, Glee? That great television.
1: Oh, God. Don't even get me fucking started on Glee. Oh, what? yeah. Law and Order True
0: Crime. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That was who did the Menendez
5: uh, series. But yeah, there's like a whole. It's like a whole anthology series thing. American Crime by John Ridley. Apparently there's also a store in downtown Madison called Anthology.
0: What could you possibly be selling?
3: It's it's Anthropology Knockoff.
0: (laughs) Oh, so just like really overpriced clothing? Yeah.
3: very, Very cheaply made, but very puffed up scarves. Yeah. Pauses yep. that can't be oriented
0: so true you know looking over ryan murphy uh this is a wild history of tv shows that he's been involved oh, he's, in yeah, and, and they all feel
3: exactly the same and it's incredible
0: yeah he did nip tuck which i didn't know I hate um, that fucking show. he did glee american horror story american crime story pose 911 Lone Star, the Ratched miniseries, American Horror Stories, and Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, as well as a bunch of other random stuff. That's crazy. I that was... can't.
3: I still have not gotten over the existence of the Ratched series, and
0: I can't is. either.
3: Like it's the there is like actually a premise for a show there, and it's not that. It's horrible.
0: Yeah, it, I, I still cannot believe that uh, that was a show that they made. Like, I remember when that first got announced, I was like, really? And then when I saw, like, the ad, I was like, really? I couldn't, I couldn't believe the overall, like, tone that they were going for.
5: Um, it was very weird. Well, in, in practice, it's like
3: the tone is attempting to be, like, true detective, honestly. The, it's yeah. it, The closest comparison I can think of for having seen the first two episodes of that god awful
5: series. Um, honorable mention to
0: Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, is that something you've watched, Cody, or is that
1: no? I ha- can't say that I have. I- I've seen okay. the first
3: episode and fully intend to watch the rest of it.
0: So Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is a. A meta show where clearly a 1980s Stephen King is uh, British instead of American, but was so high on his own supply and cocaine,
1: (laughs) all of the cocaine and
0: all of the cocaine that he decided to create his own television show. And he created this show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is a show about a hospital where a bunch of supernatural shit happens. And he like the Stephen King insert plays the main character in the TV show. But what you're watching is a retrospective like TCM classics uh, show where Garth Marenghi is pulling out old episodes from the archive because they could only ever get it to play in Peru um, and is reformatting them uncensored for British television for you to watch for the first time. And so it opens with these like segments where he talks about the making of each episode, and the episode is like interrupted by talking head interviews with the actors. Mm-hmm. But the the episode itself, as you're watching it, is just a really shittily made episode of TV. Where like the dubbing's really bad, the sets are really bad, the acting's all atrocious. Oh, that's like, great! It, it's I feel like it's something that you in particular would really, really f- I'm enjoy. Looking
1: at the cast, like Matt Berry's in this, I love Matt Berry. Yeah. Barry.
0: So it was like it was like the first thing that a lot of those people did, because I guess Garth Marenghi's Dark Place was originally a stage show in London, and then they adapted it for Channel 4 in England. Um, And there's like a whole rabbit hole that you can go down with like the lore behind it. Like Richard Ayawade's character is Garth Marenghi's agent. And if you read in between the lines of his interviews in the episodes, he maybe probably murdered one of the extras and (laughs) and buried her in the eastern block and then there's like a whole other show you can watch called man to man with dean lerner where it's just his character from garth Marenghi's dark place interviewing different celebrities it's it's pretty it's pretty wild and then garth Marenghi published quote-unquote two horror books like in the past five years um That were written by Matthew Holness, the actor and creator of it.
1: Okay, I'm gonna have to. Yeah, this is gonna become a thing for me, probably.
0: It's all on YouTube for free, so you don't even have to like. Okay,
5: good. Yeah, you don't have to
0: even get it anywhere. Yeah, and w- while we're recommending early
3: two thousands, uh, I guess I would call it meta humor. Yeah. Um, I if if anybody you know is reading Gravity's Rainbow or Against the Day and just thinks, well, I I love what's going on here, but I don't understand the science. I can only recommend um, the British television show, Look Around You, which I do think is the most important piece of edutainment ever made.
5: (laughs) It's a fair descriptor.
3: That way, look, just tune into it. It's also, I think, all on YouTube. Uh, Fill your brain up with... With a deeper understanding of of science and the world that surrounds us all.
1: I totally forgot about that show. Jesus. (laughs) It's been a minute since I've... I'm going to have to find this and watch it again because it's been a while.
3: It's only 15 episodes and it's all you need to understand all the science in Thomas Pynchon's novels. I don't know if that was the (laughs) intention.
0: But it's what they succeeded in doing.
1: If you... If you like the, like, this is the, like, Edgar Wright and and Simon Pegg crew. So if you like that stuff, this is, it's up that alley.